are using all kinds of symbology. What is at stake? It is a big idea. A new world order where diverse nations are drawn together in common cause to achieve the universal aspirations of mankind. My question to you is, in any of your government jobs, have you ever been briefed on the subject of UFOs? And if you have, when was it? What were you told? Well, if I had been briefed on that, I'm sure it was probably classified and I couldn't talk about it. Got out in 1989. We had cataloged 57 different species. We walked over to one side of the lab and he said, By the way, we've discovered a base. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Greetings and salutations, all my fellow Skywatchers from every single corner of the globe. Welcome back to Skywatchers Radio on this beautiful, lovely December 30th or 31st. Again, depending on where you might be tonight, this morning, whatever. Happy holidays, happy new year coming up, happy Hanukkah for those of you who are celebrating that past. And of course... This is the one-year anniversary of Skywatchers Radio on the Dark Matter Radio Network, the same network you're listening to right now. And I, of course, am Angel Espino, joined, as always, by Mr. Alan Weiler. How are you doing, Alan? I'm doing great. Are you jonesing for tonight? Are you ready? Uh, I'm ready to celebrate our anniversary. I'm ready to deal with callers and I'm ready to deal with the a-hole extreme. Uh, as well as uh, having a great time tonight, uh, closing out this year and ready to start the next one. Now, is it crazy, or, or am I the only one who thinks it's crazy that we've been on for a year on Dark okay. Matter Radio? Okay, obviously we have to do the stereotypical, how crazy is it? Well, it's so crazy, Alan. No, no, seriously, all joking aside, the year has just flown by, isn't it? Yeah, it has, and it's been a wonderful trip uh, without you. It's been a wonderful trip uh, with you. Eh, not so much. Well, but it's geez. been, dude, you just left yourself open for it, so I just... Yeah, that's true, too. That's true, too. Now, tonight we're going to play a, a few different clips. Uh, this is some of our favorite clips of the year, some of our favorite guests, and uh, some really, 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 really cool uh, guests that uh, have been on this year. And uh, I got a bunch of clips lined up, so we're going to play that a little bit later. Also, we have open lines. So anybody who wants to call in the first 30 minutes, it's all about you, baby. You call in. Talk to us. Let us know how you feel. Tell us, you know, your thoughts. Tell us what's up. Tell us, Tell us what's, what's going what's on. Up. Tell us what you think of the show. Tell us, you know, you know what I want to get, Alan, from the audience listening in? I want to get money. not only participants. You want money. You want money. Well, That's, yeah, at the end of the day. Well, yeah, psh, at the end of the day, of course. No, but. I want to get not only the participation, but I want to get their input on certain things like what guests they want us to have on next year. Because you I know think that's a great idea. That's brilliant. It, yeah, it's tough to book these shows on a weekly basis, and I usually you know, I, yeah. There are so many people that don't want to talk to you, Angel. Really? Well, actually, um, it's the other way around. around. Yeah. yeah, they don't want to talk to you. It's like uh, 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 you're good, Angel, but that co-host of yours, uh, he's a little, uh, he's a little childish. I want to be a Toys R Us kid. I don't want to grow up. What can I tell you? Which is funny. I, you know, I say that joking around, but I actually did have a comment like that on YouTube. 
by the way, of uh, one of our videos. They were like, man, this show's great, but that co-host of yours there, Alan, he's a little bit childish. You know, humor is the only way to cope with reality, folks. I agree. You know, Which is, and I, I, I said this. I was like, wait, hold on. They called him childish? And I'm the more mature of the two of us. I would, I I'm would the more assume. serious one, and I'm the, I'm the more down-to-earth one. And I'm like, what are you guys smoking if you think that I'm the childish one? I'm like, whatever you're smoking, wow, share with the class. Because, uh, yeah, I'm definitely not the childish one. But anyway... It's our guests, not you, Angel. But yes. it's the guests that are the childish ones. Yeah, that's it. That's the quick save for the day. No, uh, no, no, no. The guests are awesome, and we had a lot of awesome guests this year. And no, you're right. Uh, you know, they're not childish. Oh, well, some of them are, but not all of them. Most of them are really cool. You know, most of them are really, really, really serious folks. Oh, and yeah. again, you know, from the audience listening in, you know, one thing I really, really want to make this show all about is. You know, given making it a, an easy access for listeners to interact with people they want to hear. You know, unlike a lot of big shows like Coast or a lot of you know the bigger shows on AM radio or even on the internet that have the big followings, like that guy who uh, is our lead-in show every week, that Jimmy guy. You know, oh yeah, Jimmy, yeah, yeah. Jimmy Church guy. He's a big guy. You know, he's a big dude in the world. Of, you know, radio now. He's big time, big timer. Right. And you know, he gets certain clients, certain guests, and. Listeners listen in and they try calling, but it's hard to get in to a Jimmy Church show because he's so good and so many people listen and like calling in. We don't have that problem. The lines are open. Yeah, so, but nobody calls us. No, there are people that. Well, call that's us, the but. that's the point, though. You know, I want to make this the type of show that they call in to have an easy access to the people they want to hear. But you know, more importantly, I want to hear from you, the audience, who it is that you want to hear. So please call in. Let us know seven eight six two four five. 8127 is the call-in number. And you know, Alan, I, I was talking to a few people on Twitter. Ooh. I, I, I've been Twittering. Tweeting. Okay. I believe you. What's, what's the proper like definition, or the proper saying, by the way? Twittering? Tweeting? Uh, it depends on how sober you are. Um, you've been tweeting. I've been tweeting. All right. So I've been tweeting back and forth with friends, right, in the last uh, few weeks uh, on Twitter. Right. And uh, especially as we were, we were winding down this 2014, which has been just a hell of a ride mm-hmm. all the way around. Right. And, you know, by, while going back and forth with some of these people and, and enjoying the conversation with some of these folks, it's become apparently clear that the, the reason we're not getting phone calls, Alan, is our fault. Okay, what are we doing wrong? We're, it's it's all your. What's your fault and my fault? But it's mostly you, I think. Oh, okay. Uh, sure, no, well, not me. I'll, no, no, I'll, seriously, it's it's all our fault. And yeah, Alan has to. You know, he he has to bear the burden. Oh, really? Of the I gotta bear the burden. Really? You gotta, be, you're the, you gotta bear the shame of this thing. Well, real? Okay, I'll let you explain it to me before I lash out at you. Okay. Because look, a good co-host right. on every show would be able to to remember. To give out the call out the call in number. Oh, that's on an often basis, and you don't do that. You don't even mention it. You don't bring it up. I got to do all the work, so it's your fault. I, really, you're really gonna throw it on me? <laughs> uh, really, you're gonna throw it on me? You? It's all your fault. Bl- you got to see for the new year. Blank, blank, for the, for blank, the new blank. year, we're gonna put more pressure on Alan here to do a little bit more work. Like reminding me. To give out the number, because no, look seriously, on these on these tweets going back and forth, you know, I, I was told pretty much that hey, you know, the reason we might not be calling is uh, because you're not giving out the number enough. There, smart guy, so uh-huh. gotta make a habit of giving out this number. In fact, I'm gonna I'm gonna tattoo this number. 
on my really? face. I've and I'm going to take a picture of this thing and, and put it on the internet. I was going to be like, I got someplace else you might want to tattoo it, but okay. No. I, 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 I will be incredibly quiet and I will be <laughs> collective. And I will not say a word. I mean, I think, you know, and honestly, I think we say, we say the number often on the show, but, you know, that was a complaint that I did receive that we don't give out the number often enough. So, 786-245-8127. In fact, I think it worked. By God, we have a caller. 310, you're live on Skywatchers oh, Radio. Oh, California. California, here I come. California. Welcome to Skywatchers. Uh, hi, Angel. Just calling to wish you a happy birthday and a happy new year, and to Alan, too, that other guy. The oh, other that guy, other, yeah. The other guy. Thanks. I really appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thank you for the uh, yeah, well so wishes. I hope, you en- I hope you enjoy your birthday. And that, uh, you know, the new year brings you um, very good fortune. Uh, hopefully it will. Okay. Well, he eats a lot of fortune cookies, so, yeah, it's likely that it will happen. Thanks to, to Mrs. Burns. And, I ate a lot of cookies this year. cookies as well. Yes, thanks to Mrs. Burns. <laughs> yes. Okay, guys, have a good show. Thank you for thanks. calling in, Bill. Thanks for calling. <laughs> now, well, do you know who that was? No, I don't. The voice does sound familiar, though. Really? Yeah. Do you know who it was? Yes. Was that Bill? Really? That was Bill Burns, man. Are you serious? I was going like, to say. I, 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 I even said the name. I was like, thanks for calling Bill. Like, oh, you know, really? You didn't but, pick up minute, on that was Bill Burns. That was the great Bill Burns and you didn't catch yeah, but, that. Wait a minute, wait a minute. He's calling in from from California? I, well, no, no. He's not well, calling in from California. Well, that's what the phone number showed on, on the screen. And I'm like, well, wait a minute, wait. It showed a 310 number. So I'm like, uh, 310's California, isn't it? I don't know. Maybe, maybe I believe not. it is. I have enough friends. I don't know. I don't think so. I haven't been out in California in a long time, but no, that was Bill Burns, so the great Bill. Thank you for calling in and wishing me a happy birthday. That's always awesome. And, you know, thanks to Nancy. I don't know if you've seen my, my Facebook, Alan, the last uh, few hours or the last No, not hours. the last few hours. I just got in from car shopping, and, uh, you know, I'm ex- <laughs> I'm, expand- I'm expanding my uh, my uh, my business opportunities, and I need to get another vehicle or two. So I was out car shopping because I want to see which used car dealers are like, come on, help me close out the books. I'll give you a deal. That ain't going to happen. They all want to rip you off and take your money. 832, you're live on Skywatchers Radio. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Angel, and happy birthday from the Space Boy. Oh, Space Boy. What's up, brother? Thank you for calling in. Appreciate that. Hey, no problem. Uh, Hey, Alan, how you doing, my friend? Excellent. Just please don't refer to me as the other guy. The other Thanks. dude. Yeah, the other guy. Yeah. Thanks, Bill. I appreciate that. I'll make it up to you one of these decades. I wish Bill wouldn't have hung up, though. I, I wish he would have stayed on longer. I don't know why he hung up so quickly. It's, uh, he's I guess too good Nancy for was show. trying to get his attention, I'm sure. I guess, I guess so. I guess so. Space Boy, man, let me tell you something. Your music rocks, dude. Well, Just got to say that live on air. It's awesome. Uh, thank you so much for uh, letting us use it and play it on the air. Yeah, you got some great uh, tunes. Well, appreciate it. I've got a, quite a, a catalog going. Uh, this is uh, just released my 17th CD, and uh, uh, I couldn't think of anybody better other than my other loyal boss that I have to account for, but um, than yourself to have a copy of it, especially on your birthday, man. Ah, I appreciate that. That was so cool of you. And uh, I've been actually uh, listening to it all day from here to work, and then worked back. I was actually listening to it in the phone on the car, and uh, it is awesome. Love those good tracks. Good. Good. Yeah, good. He, doesn't, he doesn't let me listen to it, though. You know, 
Uh, he doesn't well, send me copies. I don't. I don't want to be uh, you know pirating Space Boy's music here. Well, That's well cool. Alan, you know it's quite easy if you if you do the Twitter thing like uh, Angel's asking you to do. Maybe you could follow Space Boy, and I could hook you up with a copy. You know, unfortunately, I'm Twitter illiterate with all the other things I have on my plate right now. No. I know it's terrible, but see you know, for the new year. That's another. That for the new year. That's another thing we're going to put on on Alan here. He is going to have to start using social media because he's a co-host on the on oh, no, a no, big no, show. Use social media, but you're going to have to get into this. <sighs> you're going to have hey, to do Alan, it, Alan. Let me, okay. t- let me tell you this, Alan. Yeah. Uh, a year ago, um, I wasn't much on the Twitter myself. I got to be honest here. Um, it wasn't. Is it actually called year. the Twitter? <laughs> the Twitter, and referring to the Twitter in the third in the third person type thing, um, but yeah, this year I, I've been using Twitter, and it's amazing how easy it is to network with people, to get the word out, and you know, uh, it's just it's a great tool to use for for getting the word out, like phone numbers. Oh yeah, I, I I agree that it's a great thing. My problem is that I'm trying to maintain a low profile because I don't want those men in black finding me. Oh my goodness. Angel, does he have a tinfoil on his head? No, no, no. I don't have a tinfoil <laughs> on my head, but I don't know if you heard the episode. He will but... tonight at, at the stroke of midnight. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, hold, hold he on. does that every New Year's Eve to New Year's morning. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, it was either that or – well, never mind. I'm not even going to tell you that joke. Um, but you, you got to understand, you know, I got to fly below the radar because of what happened at the last airport that I was at. I don't know if you heard about that show or not that – no, I, yeah, I, I was going to actually ask you in private if there's been any uh, developments on that. No, no, no. Did you bring goodness, it up? You know, like. Thank goodness so far, no developments. Knock on wood? Knock on wood, knock on particle board, knock on whatever I can find, mahogany. <laughs> you, know, you know, you're laughing over there. My whole problem is, is that I tr- I'm trying to stay off the radar because of a slight little accidental glitch that I did, uh, which was go through TSA with a firearm. What are the oh, chances? Yeah, yeah. What, are the ch- what are the chances that Alan is not here tonight and he's behind bars if his last name is Gonzalez, <laughs> Rodriguez? Or, or say, for example, you know, he's a little darker shade than he is now. What do you think? Uh, I think so far I'm I'm fine. Worst case scenario, <laughs> I go to Club Fed. Yes. You know, you'll be what, okay. You know, I'm just like, I'm not gonna have the banjos playing. It's like then there's some pretty lips there, boy. <laughs> you know, it, it, I, I don't think that's gonna be happening to me. But you know, right. Well, now, Nothing's when the guy starts saying, when the guy starts saying, you look kind of pretty, you should start worrying. Man. Yeah, exactly. But hopefully, yeah, that, at that point, yeah, you should be yeah. worried, Alan. Yeah, um, I'm just like so for that hasn't happened, but that you know, it, I I have enough other things on my plate, and because of all my traveling, you know, it's not a struggle for me to do the show at this hour. You know, no worries. But rest of the week, I've got so many things on my plate. It ain't funny. Otherwise, He's a busy I do, man. Otherwise, I'd do the Twitter. Well, you better start doing the Twitter because it okay. takes, you know, I mean, very it, little it, effort to do the Twitter. I was going to say, like, during the show, I mean, it's it's no big thing. Like, I understand where you're coming from. I, I rock a job. I'm an IT guru during the day. And yep, at yep. night, I'm, I'm Space Boy. And, you know, <laughs> and so I kind of squeeze it in when I can, you know. 
I'm always squeezing it in, and uh, I feel you on that. And I'm a marketing director by day, and I do this by night, so I understand exactly where you both are coming from. But you know what? You know, it, it, look, it, we do this because we love doing this. Man. Exactly, and, uh, I do this as a passion. This is a, it's a, my passion, a labor of not love. Everything else, you know. And, and, and let's be honest, we're just keeping the seat warm at this time slot for the big guy when he comes back next year. Uh, the old Arpel, huh? Yes, when he returns, uh, this this time slot uh, is his, so we're moving. Uh, it's all good. Um, well, uh, well, I hope y'all stay on the air. But, I mean, first. Oh off, no, yeah, we definitely will. We'll just have to like squeeze into a different time. Well, slot. well, either we're moving <laughs> or we're going to persuade him using Jedi mind tricks to co-host with him. How about that? That would be so epic. Oh, My that life would be dream right there. Oh. You know, ju- just just <laughs> one one day a week to have the luxury and the ability to co-host with him would be amazing. It really I just if he just acknowledges my existence and says hi, I'm like I'm happy with that. Are you kidding me? That's Art Bell, man. Well, That's be, freaking Art Bell. With you guys, I, I'm kind of hoping he plays at least a song or two, you know. So you know, we're all in the same boat here. Heck yeah. I got no problem with that. So, Space Boy, real quick, because we have a bunch of callers calling in. I want to ask this to everybody who calls in. And, guys, please stay on the line if you're calling in. I know we're taking a little long here, but this is Space Boy, man. He's royalty here on the show. Uh, Next year, in 2015, like, I want to ask everybody, who do you want to see on this show? Like, who do you want to hear us interview uh, with somebody that uh, you're dying uh, to to see us uh, tackle on the show? Who should we chase down? Yes, who do we call Bat Squatch on next year? Yeah, who do do we want to chase down? Well, guys, you know I'm a Texan, and uh, I'm kind of partial to one man in particular. I know he gets play on lots of other channels, but if you can acquire Jim Mars, it would be pretty awesome. I mean, he's, mm-hmm. he's my main guy from Texas, so Jim Mars would be somebody I'd love to see you get on there and, and just go go to town with him. Jim Mars. I'm going to write that down, Jim Mars. I'm, I'm going to try to make that happen soon. Can't make any hey, promises, but we can sure as hope. I'll just say, I'll just say, I'm supposed to be heading out to contact in the desert this year, and if I see him, I, I'll definitely put a plug in for you guys. Oh, love Shit. that! Appreciate that. Hell yeah! Yeah, heck yeah! That's awesome. Well, before Space I leave one? you, I just, I just wanted to say, you know, congratulations on the year. Uh, it's amazing what I've listened to on this channel and how. Uh, you know, the, it's almost like a game of Survivor, and y'all made it through <laughs> the first round. So, I mean, I'm hoping for the best between you and some of my other favorite shows on the network. But uh, I've been, I, I kind of like, have been a, a silent listener to your program. But now I'm out of the closet, so to speak. And uh, <laughs> I just want to say, just keep rocking. Uh, if there's any music you need from me, let me know. Uh, just know that uh, I'm rooting for you guys. And let me just say this one last thing. Yeah, man. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, man. Awesome. Thank you so much for calling in. Space yeah, absolutely. You're the man. Man. Thanks for calling. All right, guys. Keep it real. You need me. You know where to find me. Twitter. You rock. And let's make Jim Mars happen. All right. Bye-bye. <laughs> Take care. That's the great Space Boy. Now we're going to get another call on the line. See, Alan, we just have to give out the number a little bit. That's all it was. Uh, oh, if you say so. Okay. Danny, you're on the line on Skywatchers Radio. Welcome Happy on board. Happy birthday, Angel. Thank you, my brother. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. Thank you for calling and in, and, uh, and and thank you for uh, being here on this very special December 30th or 31st. Uh, it's my pleasure, and uh, happy anniversary to you, Angel, and the other guy, Alan. <laughs> and, <laughs> Am I going to be called the other guy the whole Pretty much. The, that's, that's, that's you know, I'm messing with yeah. you, Alan. <laughs> you know I'm messing with you, gangster. 
I will have my <laughs> do, do I sound gangster? It's like yeah, dude, yeah, you went through the t- you went through like the airport with his with, gun. With a gat, like, yo, what's up, homie? Like, with a gat. You know what I mean? Like gangster, dude. Like Tupac would be like, yo, All I geez, is, whoops. <laughs> Today's word for girls is whoops. Ah, oh, man, too funny. Danny, so, you know, it's crazy. We've been on for a year now on Dark Matter Radio Network. We've interviewed a lot of folks on here. Uh, who is somebody you're, you're eager to hear us interview? Oh, well, you know, I mean, I think the best interview was the most recent interview, or not, I think it was a couple of interviews ago, was uh, Travis Walton. Ah, uh, yeah, one Travis. of my favorites. Because yeah. he, he was just so relaxed with you guys, you know, and... Uh, just, I mean, he's he just was joking a- around. He was funny, you know. Was, you know, it, it's it was, funny. I was listening to that episode today because I have a bunch of clips I'm going to play. Uh, in fact, uh, Travis Walton, uh, when he was on here, I'm going to play a clip of that episode. And uh, you're absolutely right. He was very relaxed. He was, you know, laughing at some of the stuff. It's rare know. for him to unwind. Yeah, it, right. it really felt like he was just comfortable. And, and that's awesome to get somebody, you know, like that uh, who normally is not in that kind of environment when he does these radio shows because everybody's always so, like, serious. And, and you know, to see him actually, you know, loosen up a little bit. And, and he's right. really just generally a nice person. So, I mean, yeah. it, was, it, was, it was awesome. It really did. I mean, and hear him cracking jokes and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, you know. The, the it, it's not like, like Bill who calls me the I other mean, guy, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, when we had him on the show, we did something with Travis on the show, which nobody's done. Uh, and, and this is something that Coast hasn't been, been able to do this. Uh, none of the, the big shows oh. have had him on. Even Jimmy didn't get this out of him, I don't think. Uh, in fact, uh, I'm pretty sure that the, the oh, first time that he's talked about this. I think the first time he's talked about this was when we asked him on the show, or when uh, I brought it up, was uh, how he felt about his uh, buddy Steve Pierce. Uh, that's true. Yeah, I forgot about that. And let me tell you, Travis was uh, very open about the way yeah, he felt was. on what was going on with Steve Pierce. And uh, you know, I've, we've had Steve on, and Steve is a very nice guy, also really, really nice gentleman. I uh, got nothing against the guy, you know, at all. But uh, you know, the stuff that he's saying is a little—it's a little bit out there. And, and to hear Travis uh, pretty much uh, say the same things we're kind of uh, feeling, kind of calling it Batsquatch. You know, to to hear that from him directly was really refreshing because, you know what, that adds more credibility to him, I think. I think so. Yeah, I, th- yeah. I think his perspective is unique on Very. that situation. Well, well, I mean, he was quiet for a long time, right? And then, you know, he, he, and, and then he, he came out with, you know, with, with this kind of crazy off-the-wall stuff. You know, yeah, well, he was quiet for a long time because he was, you know, really just uh, shying away from, the, from the spotlight. The right, cool. and we, he didn't want the spotlight, but when Travis, you know, was, you know, retired and doing more right. more, uh, more of the uh, circuit and, and lectures and, and, and the tours and all that stuff, uh, he eventually started going out on those things with him, and he liked the attention, as Travis said. He really enjoyed that attention. Which, exactly. I remember him saying that on the show, and I remember exactly who Travis was saying like it, he was, it was um I mean I guess like I mean he he was saying he was almost like attracted to the girls like uh yeah you know every night it was like a, a challenge for him I guess he saw once once things were clear with um you know once once Travis was out uh in the open and doing his uh his you know lectures and and uh, tours and on the circuits you know and uh, he felt cool to come out and 
Yeah, he just got addicted to it. But um, now I'm not calling Bat Squatch completely on what uh, Steve has said that he's been going through or what he's experienced because I wasn't there. Right, you know, yeah, right. None of us I mean, were there. So I can only we, say what, what I was I heard, has, like to make things a spectator sport in his life. Right. Well, you know, but here and here's the thing, uh, you know, Steve, you know, he might be lying, he might be saying the truth. We weren't there. I would like to, you know, have an open mind uh, on the thing. Uh, my thing is he's going a little bit beyond just the UFO experience. I mean, his thing it really reaches different spectrums of the paranormal. And yeah. that's where he starts to lose me a little bit. You know what I mean? Uh, when the story keeps growing and growing and growing and growing, it's not, not the same story he was telling a year ago. Right. Uh, that's that's when he starts to lose me a little bit, uh, and, and I hope and I hope for you know I hope that he is telling the truth. I hope he's really gone through some of this stuff and and you know he can prove it one day because I would you know I would hate to think that out of the Travis Walton case one of the guys came on and started hoaxing stuff. You know that would right. be terrible. That would really suck. <laughs> <laughs> it really would. So other than Travis, who would you like to see us uh, interview on the show here, Danny? Well, Space Boy, grab my guy. He could grab Jim Mars. <laughs> Jim Mars. Huh? I, I'll I'll do him once since he's Texas. I'm Louisiana. Danny from New Orleans. Um, yeah, I'll take the John. House. I'll take John B. Wells. John Ooh, B. Wells. That's a good one. Okay. All right. He's yeah, that's a good one. He's an awesome. He, I mean, he was awesome when he was doing Coast, and now he's doing mm-hmm. his own thing at Caravan to Midnight. And um, I subscribe to him and listen to him. He doesn't do a live show, so he doesn't interfere with anybody. Um, you know. I can be neutral in that area, and uh, yeah, John B. Wells. He be he he would be he's got something to say about everything. He's really interesting. Yeah, I got to agree on that. That'll be a great uh, guest to pull in. And you know, uh, with that said, uh, let's do this. Let's get the first clip going here. I have, like I said, a bunch of clips I do want to play. And since we were talking about Travis Walton, let's play the first clip. Uh, this is uh, us talking to Travis. This is the best of 2014. You know, let's talk about the the, the people that were on on the uh, were there when when you were abducted that night. Uh, one in particular who has come forward uh, a lot recently, uh, Steve Pierce is. Uh, I'm sure uh, somebody you've uh, you've talked to in some of these circuits with, and you've gone uh, on some of these conventions with, and uh, you've uh, done lectures with uh, recently. Uh, you know, what are your thoughts of uh, some of the stuff that he's coming forward with in the last couple of years? Well, you know, when he first came out, you know, he was he was great you know he everybody you know liked him he's got a great personality and everything but uh it was a big step forward for him because you know he had hidden out from this for 30 years and didn't want to do any talking on it so it was very therapeutic for him to finally come out and be validated in that way and uh as a matter of fact you know the the positive reception he got uh went to his head um, I, uh, you know, I'm the one that broke trail. I mean, it was, uh, yeah. it was a lot rougher back in the early days, but so yeah. he came to a ready-made where he, you know, warm reception and, uh, he became so intoxicated with the attention that, uh, you know, he, um, started getting kind of negative, like he was really jealous of me and uh, I was kind of surprised at some of the things he was saying, you know. Now, do you, do you believe yeah. a lot of the stuff he's coming uh, out with, that, you know, the uh, the supposed abductions he's been a part of? No. I, I mean, I, I, I've i never... Uh, 
I mean, I don't want to put you on the spot. on anybody's <laughs> experience, you yeah. know, unless I investigate them. But uh, it just doesn't... Um, doesn't well, add up? No comment. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tough one. I, know, I understand. It. It's, it's a tough one. Uh, you know, oh, there's no politics whatsoever in, in ufology at all. No, but you know there, you know there's a, a relationship there, Alan, and I, I can understand that. You know, they were friends for a long time, so uh, it, that's a, that's a tough one. But I, look, I've spoken to Steve uh, Travis, and I've had him on the show, and yeah, he, he does come off as a very nice, uh, nice person. But when he starts going into some of the supposed up, you know, abduction scenarios and paranormal stuff that's happened to him, it, some of it is just a little weird to connect. He's had way too many different type of experiences. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it's, it's a little tough. Uh, you know, he's. Oh, he's, he's you know he's got a difficult life you know there's a lot of things going on in his life he's not really managing his love life all that well you know every time I turn around he's being kicked out by another girlfriend and but he keeps on getting girlfriends so it can't be that bad yeah. that's true <laughs> so you got to look at the bright side got to look at the bright side of everything well, that's part of the reason he gets kicked out is because he's looking for the next one while he's still with the one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh! I, I I used to have that philosophy myself. I always want to find Miss Right, but I always end up with a bunch of Miss Right Nows. <laughs> yeah, well, trolling the internet and you know being found out. <laughs> uh, well, oh no! no miss- never use the internet. That's some scary stuff you find there. Ooh. Yeah, you don't want to do that. No, it can never end well, especially when you are known for ufology-based stuff. Yep, Just think about the. Uh, you get that one psychotic fan, and you're in trouble. Yep. Yeah. Speaking of which, I mean, I'm pretty sure you get you know some crazy fans uh, approach you, Travis. I mean, has it gotten uh, more uh, to the point where you're recognized more and more and more now these days than you were back then? I mean, do you go anywhere and people just automatically recognize you and go up to you for autographs and stuff like that? Or? Yeah, that happens occasionally. Does it really? Is is that a little bit weird? Because I mean, it, you know. You're a celebrity, but you really, you know, you're not an actor or, or well, a movie star. Well, I'm not anybody that seeks attention. As a matter of fact, I've been kind of unfair to some of the people that have uh, recognized me, you know, because I'll say something like, yeah, people are always telling me I look like that guy. You know? <laughs> and then they go off and then they find out later it really was me. And I, I shouldn't say, hey, aren't you the guy? Nope, I'm his other brother. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I wasn't in Snowflake, Arizona when that happened. No way. No, I was. Uh, I was in New York. That wasn't me. But you look just like that guy. That was. It, it, that must be weird for some people who might not, uh, you know, believe. But maybe they see you and, and when they interact with you. Uh, have you had people that were skeptical at first, and then they talk to you for a little bit, and then they completely just change their opinion on you just for? Oh yeah, talking in to almost you? every case, you know, uh, you know, if, uh, an interviewer comes around and talks to me and. They wind up being much more uh, uh, believing when they leave than when they came. You know, they have all kinds of assumptions that. Uh, um, What's the worst that. predisposed opinion someone has had of you before they met you that well, you've changed? Obviously. Well, you know that I'm a liar or that I'm crazy or, you know, or some of both. Those are the kinds of preconceptions I'm talking about. Okay, so it's not that bad then. No. (laughs) (laughs) Now, how many lie detectors have you passed over the years? Because I know that it's been more than than half a dozen at least, right? More than that. I've I've, uh, passed five different tests from three different examiners. 
and all of them top-notch examiners, all of them with many years of law enforcement experience. I mean, there are some people who, you know, do lie detectors, but, you know, they're more, uh, less less well-trained than, than the ones I that's a gentle way of putting it. Yeah, yeah. You know, I always find it funny when skeptics uh, try to debunk Travis's case, and they're like, oh, well, he must have been lying. And then you bring up the whole fact that he's passed all these lie detector tests, and they're like, well, that's not admissible in court. Oh, well, that's funny. It's not admissible in court when it proves well, actually, or it shows that he's... It, it, it I know. admissible in court in many states. And yep. the last two polygraph tests that I took, I deliberately went to a state where it was admissible in court mm-hmm. because I wanted the highest, most rigorous test I could get. And, uh, you know, if six people testified that they had witnessed a murder, you know, that's open and shut. That guy's going to the, yep. going to the chair. But yeah. if six people testify that they witnessed a UFO abduction, then all of a sudden we got a quibble, and that's without lie detectors. Yep. You know, and then you got six people passing lie detector tests, and that's not enough for these people. I would say that the bar is either too low for the death penalty or too high for uh, UFO sightings. Choices, choices, choices. I say we flip them around. Yeah, I think uh, you're right. I think it is too high for UFO abductees. Uh, and here, here's another question for you, uh, Travis. Uh, you know. Disclosure, you know, what you guys are doing is kind of a form of disclosure, doing the conferences and talking about your experiences. You know, Edgar Mitchell coming forward, that's a form of disclosure in a sense. Uh, you know, what, tra- what Stephen Bassett does every year with uh, his movement, uh, which is something that we support greatly here on Skywatchers Radio. Uh, that's a form of trying to get disclosure out there. Uh, but disclosure from the government itself, it seems like it's so far away that to the point that I don't think it's ever going to happen, unfortunately. Uh, you know, what are your thoughts on that now as, you, as you've got older and you've lived with this for so long uh, do you think that there's going to be disclosure anytime soon do you think you and i would live to see disclosure well i support uh Stephen bassett's efforts and i yeah. think that in spite of the fact that you know that i kind of agree with you that the government's not going to say okay we've been lying to you all these years <laughs> right now we're going to fess up they're never going to do that because that would be suicide for them mm-hmm. but you know, nevertheless, what what the Disclosure Project is is doing is really bringing it gives a sort of a, a format to bring out the evidence uh, in favor of these things. These kind of hearings and this kind of uh, press conferences it, it, it really does have a positive effect. Now, as far as actual disclosure, uh, not not voluntary from the government just because it's of popular demand. <laughs> Uh, yeah, what do you think of, of other things, governments? There's a what lot of other... popular demand that the government's never going to give. Well, that's true, too, yeah. But what do you think of but, other governments still coming forward with what they know and, you know, talking about it a little bit more freely than the U.S. government? Yeah, they do, you know, in other countries. So, that, you know, it's kind of harder for our government to maintain that position uh, in, in, in the presence of these other countries coming out with it. But I think that if there ever is disclosure, it'll come one of two ways. Either some undeniable incident, you know, a landing or a crash site in the middle of a populated area, something where they just can't cover it up anymore. Right. They can't say that's a weather balloon. (laughs) Or some whistleblower, some Snowden-type guy, gets a hold of the files and goes public with it. 
Um, I would love to see that happen. Yeah, but you know what? Even if something like that happened, there there will be somebody immediately, I think, trying to uh, cover it up. Oh, yeah. I mean... That can be pretty elaborate. They had the lengths that they go to cover things up. I mean, I think, and honestly, I've talked about this with Bill Burns before, uh, Travis, and... Uh, you know, he's big on the whole JFK assassination. And I think part of what happened with JFK and why he was assassinated was because he found out some of the truth that the government knows about UFOs and other conspiracy stuff. And he was going to come forward and talk about this stuff. And he was going to air a lot of this stuff out because he didn't believe in secrecy. I mean, there's that famous speech that he gave about secrecy. And yeah. uh, I think this is part of the reason why he was killed. And there you go. This is the the man who held the highest position in the land, the president. And even he was killed to be silenced. So what, you know, what the rest of us, what what, what can we do? You well, know? There's, yeah, <laughs> there's no limit. So. And there you go. That's uh, the famous interview now with Travis Walton. And, you know, listening to that, Alan, I, it, it really was a good interview. Oh, no, no. I mean, and don't forget, that's just part of it. Now, obviously, on our YouTube channel, you can hear the whole entire thing, can't you? Right. Yes, you can. In fact, you could uh, also hear the entire uncut episode on skywatchersradio.com. And, uh, yes, it is on YouTube also. We have it on uh, our Skywatchers Radio page on YouTube. So if you guys want to check it out there and uh, see it on there, you can do that also. Just uh, search Skywatchers Radio. So this next guest that we had on this year goes by the name of Mr. Justin Brown. Now, Justin Brown is a very well-known person in the world of ufology, especially north of the border over in Canada. Justin Brown is the uh, the host of uh, Unified Field Radio as well, as he was the host for a very uh, brief period of Euphonaut Radio, which used to be the show hosted by Jesse Randolph, who joined us on April 30th right here on Skywatchers Radio and had a great time with Justin. He's uh, just a, an awesome dude, and look forward to having him back on if he's ever you know, available, because he's such a busy guy, this guy. Oh, my goodness. So busy, Justin Brown. But anyway, check this out, guys. This is Justin Brown, once again, on Skywatchers. On your show, for example, I know you've had a lot of guests on your show in the past. Has there been any guest that just kind of, like, irked you? Like, you know, ah, oh, man, this person is such a hoaxer, such a faker. Because, uh, you know, we don't like to bash anybody, but, you know, you can always kind of tell when you're interviewing somebody who's on the money and who's not, you know, well, not always, always, but sometimes you can. But has there been that, like, that one guest that after you've done the show and you're like, man, this guy is so full of it. Well, first of all, guys, remember I'm from Canada. We're pretty nice up here. This is true. So you you wouldn't you wouldn't say, man, this guy's full of it. You wouldn't say, I, I don't think he's honest. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, we try to be we try to be fair and balanced and give everyone a fair shake when possible, and that's kind of the platform that I've always had with my show. I like to give if people have something that they've been talking about that's fantastic. I'm not going to go ahead and support someone who's hoaxing something. If it's if it's obvious, I'm not going to get involved. I don't want to have anything like that on my show. But sometimes in this type of field, it's impossible to know you know who's hoaxing and who's not. You can tell a lot of the times, but you can't always tell. Um, you know, I spoke to. I mean, the biggest one of all, I guess, would have been probably not. Well, I mean, the Billy Come Meyer stories. <laughs> Michael Horn was on the show, and he's a very animated my con- guy. My condolences. Yeah, he is. Yeah, so he's the American representative of the Billy of Billy Meyer, right? Everybody, I think, is aware of Michael Horn. Yes. He's adamant that this thing happened. Even if he thinks it's a hoax, he's still spreading the gospel that it's not. 
Um, there's a, a huge holes in, in Billy Meyer's story. Obviously, there's a ton of it. There's, you know, for one, is the ray gun. Like, the ray gun's there. Okay? <laughs> yeah. Billy Meyer says he's got a ray gun, and then the people want to see the ray gun that the aliens gave him, and then what? guess what happens? The ray gun disappears conveniently, so no one can see this ray gun. I think it turned out, Angel, you and I were talking, but it turned out to be like a... A, yep. a toy gun that he had put together, like, it, and yeah, it was like from like you remember the eighties they had laser tag. Yeah, exactly. Toy guns? It was just a modification was, it, of that. Yeah, it was like he got one of the earlier versions and like he modified it, and mm-hmm. nobody noticed the difference because you know it was you know nobody's I guess smart enough to notice that's laser tag. You know, like, I don't know. yeah, exactly. I, and I approached like Michael about a lot of the stuff when I was talking to him on the show about the Billy Meyer case. You know, for instance, you know, like the pictures that he said he had taken of dinosaurs that were obviously <laughs> taking it. National Geographic, baby. Exactly. <laughs> right out of the pages. You can see it. It's identical. And, uh, you know, the twins that were on the late night, they were dancers on the late night talk show. Another, uh, I can't remember what the name of the alien entity was supposed to be. It was very Norwegian sounding. Do you remember, Angel, what, what her name was? The dancer that he claimed to have seen? Um... Not really, not alien name. Anyway, that's another one there that was just a blatant, obvious hoax. You know, a photo well, the, the one that dancer. got me was the one for yeah. No, you're talking about the Dean Martin dancer. Exactly, right? exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Martin Dean Martin. Dancer. I cannot remember her name. Um, I'm trying to think of the alien name that he. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to think of. Also, and it, it just does, it. That's right on the tip of my to tongue. To but yeah. anyway, I guess it's. I guess it doesn't. Helga Ingegretchen. Basically, yeah. That's how it. That's how it exactly probably what the name would be. There's just so many areas where I kept hitting him about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, ask it. So of, ask yes, it. Exactly. That's what it was. When in doubt, Google it out. That's my <laughs> motto. It works every single time. Yeah. See, we don't have to have Alan make weird alien noises to you know just pretend we know the name. No, it's ask it. And yet, yeah. you know, this is a funny thing because I've had look, I've had an ongoing battle with Michael Horn. He's my arch nemesis. Uh-huh. I'm Superman, and he's Lex Luthor. That's really uh-huh. what it is. And he's bald-headed, too, so he could play that part. But anyway, like we've had this ongoing drama between me and him because I, I was on a show one day. Well, he was on a show, and I called in, and I asked him, you know, uh, how do you explain the uh, Billy Myers uh, taking pictures of the the, Martin, the D. Martin dancers? You know, ask it. Come on, really? I've seen the video, man. It's That's a complete joke. I mean, and he blew up on air, and this is on a, on a, a mutual friends show that we've had. You and I, Justin. Yeah. You know who I'm talking about? J-E-S-S-E. Oh, yeah. Uh, Mr. Randolph. Yes. uh, Mr. Jesse Randolph on his show. And he blew up on me. You know, he told me off and all kinds of stuff. And we've gone back and emailed back and forth because he got really upset that I asked him a legit hard question on air as a caller. And, you know, it's funny how he blows up over it. But honestly, there's so much, uh, you know, so much information just to prove that Billy Myers has been lying. And the one line that they always use is, is, which really makes me laugh. And you're gonna laugh when I when I explain why, Justin. Uh, they use this line that, "Oh, he's a one-armed man yeah. in Switzerland. How can he possibly do all the hoaxing himself? How can he possibly go out there and fool the world with you know hoaxes? He couldn't possibly do it. He's a one-armed man." So he doesn't have a wife. He didn't have friends. Didn't have neighbors. Yeah, didn't have kids. He had nobody that could help him. Really, really, has anybody ever actually? spoken to his wife who is admitted that the whole thing was a hoax <laughs> yeah i have so many problems with the story and i also had approached michael horn about all these areas and, and and he like was very reactionary in the same way that he was with you and i was very repulsed by that this was a guy that was supposed yep. to be 
you know, a representative of this guy who had who who believed his story, had faith in it, and yet he was reacting like a criminal, like he was hoaxing. Yeah. You know, he was involved in the hoax, and I was really turned off by it. And I'm not, that's not to say that maybe at some point or there's something in the Billy Meyer story that's legit or true, but maybe he maybe ran with the story once he got you know once he felt. You know, maybe he could gain from it. Maybe you know, and and rule and ran with it from there. I don't know. I'm, there may be some legitimate parts of the story. Um, I just can't figure out where the where that you know the fact begins and 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 uh, the hoax begins. It's all very blurred. It looks all like it's a big made up story at this point. Yeah, you know, here's the thing. He was a photographer, right? He knows photography. Mm-hmm. We know that much. Um, anybody who knows photography can kind of figure out how to hoax a UFO. On a picture, I mean that's very easy. You know, cameras don't have great depth perception, especially older cameras in the '60s, '70s, and '80s. Uh, they were very easy to, to do something like with wires and stuff, and that's really what he was doing. Uh, but here's where I'm going with this. Uh, let's just say that Billy Myers has been hoaxing this stuff the entire time. There is, I believe, and I'm, I'm not a scientist, so I can't you know scientifically point to anything, but I do believe there is a psychosis uh, with certain people like a Billy Myers uh, who just want to do something to gain attention and he might have done something and he saw how good it came out mm-hmm. and somebody saw it and gave him attention and that drove him to make another picture and then another picture and next thing you know he's getting so much attention for his pictures that he's the psychosis takes over and he starts just making videos and all kinds of things and he's getting so much attention and he's selling now maybe documentaries or books mm-hmm. and he's doing interviews and he's getting paid for it and this becomes a mini career for this guy. That's true. And this happens in ufology all the time. I've interviewed people where at the end of the day they have no evidence, no proof of anything. You know, they're going on on their story and I ask them certain questions that lead me to believe that it's all done because they want attention. Unfortunately, in ufology there is a lot of that. You know what's funny? Going through the clips, obviously, you know, the obvious ones that are great, like uh, Travis and uh, Dr. Michael Heiser, right. uh, you know, those are the great ones, right? But there was a few of them that were surprising. We had somebody on who is a good friend of mine. She's been on the network PSN radio for about, what, four years now, like four and a half years. And, uh, you know, I love having this uh, lady on uh, the network and being a host on uh, on PSN. She's just an amazing person, a uh, fantastic uh, host and a great human being. I'm talking, about, of course, about Miss DCS, Crystal Storm herself and again you know just somebody i really really love and uh hopefully you know everybody feels the same way about her that i do she has a great show it's called the uh, the plucky and woo woo show yeah, that's right plucky and woo woo now it's not ufo related uh you know even though i'm sure you know they get, they'll talk about it you know it comes up i'm sure but that's not the the gist of what they you know they normally talk about on the show but it is a really funny show. And if you want to take a break from the whole UFO paranormal stuff and just want to have some fun, I highly recommend it. Check it out. It's on PSN Radio. Tell the audience a little bit about your, your written work, Sinarchy, because uh, I'm a big fan of your two books, Sinarchy, of course, uh, book one and two. Uh, for the audience who might not know who you, you know, who, about these books, uh, let's talk about them for a little bit, and uh, we'll continue from there. 
Nobody, no author ever likes doing this, Angel. I want you to know. I know. Okay. I know that. Okay. All that's right. why I'm putting you on the spot, though. Okay, that's cool. All right. So <laughs> I wrote two books. The first one is okay. It's the, <laughs> it is. It is a solid story, a self-published novel. Made a lot of mistakes with it. I'm just going to throw that out there. I don't want – because, Angel, you really, like, lifted me up earlier, which was awesome. I loved your intro. Um, and it's Thank you. Great, Thank you yeah, no, it's great. It's a great story, but first-time author threw a book out there probably about a month or two before I should have, but it survived. So but it's, it's a good, good. book. Yeah. And, and, you yeah. know, and people who read it, they really like it. Um, that I have been really lucky that way. They were like, it's deep. It was good. So second book, a lot prouder of. It is the story. Both books are the story of a mafia family that come forward to save us. Um, I don't want to say save planet Earth because they really – it's a mafia family who comes forward to save us, to give us the choice whether or not we want to save ourselves. There are aliens. Hey, Vinny, you got the laser gun or what? Exactly. That's exactly how it goes. Nice. <laughs> there are aliens. There's conspiracy theory in there. There's my spiritual stuff in there. It's, there's all kinds of stuff going on in Sanarchy. But yeah, that is uh, in a nutshell. That is what those two books are about. So if you like science fiction, conspiracy, and if you like uh, books that don't give you the usual type of quote-unquote heroes, then you will enjoy Sanarchy. That's awesome. And how is the, the TV show coming along? That is, you know, when you do things independently like I am doing, those things take a really long time. Forever. Forever. Yeah. It's forever. We've oh, worked yes. on this for years, especially with something um, as big as Sonarchy because Aaron Williams, the producer that I've been working with forever, great story about how we met. Uh, we really wanted to do it right because you know that, you know, you're indie, so you've got one shot at this. Correct. Um, yep. Yeah, you know, so it's really got to be good. And Sonarchy is really big it really really is big so we spent a lot of time just trying to figure out how we wanted to tell the story i can't tell you how many scripts i've written i've probably written about 50 scripts probably more um different versions of sonarchy yeah um so good news is that just recently about a month ago we wrote another one we really liked it um, we kind of really felt very strongly about this one to the point that we're ready to start opening up casting again. So kind of stay tuned to my blog um, and SanarchyTV.com. That's our website, SanarchyTV.com. Um, stay tuned there because we're going to open it up, casting up to the Florida area, the Louisiana area. Um, and we're going to see, you know, kind of what we get. Again, you'll be working on an independent production, but we feel really excited about this. And Aaron's such a professional when it comes to, you know, making TV and making movies. He's got a great background and all of that so we're excited we're hoping that we can get back on set next year we shot a promo we did that absolutely free we just got some people together we got his equipment together um it was just like indie collaboration coming together we wanted to see what we can do we wanted to kind of introduce the series um to the audience as a whole it went well i i thought i thought i thought it was pretty good I really did for what it was. I thought it was a really great introduction. It taught us mm-hmm. a lot about what we could get away with and that sort of thing. So it's exciting. Uh, but those things, you know, when you want to do it independently, you can get money for the dumbest things. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, oh, t- yeah. you come oh, to somebody with a good idea and they're like, mm-hmm. no, you got to prove yourself. But you want to do a reality show? Yeah, we'll give you like a million dollars. And that's like the cheapest stuff to shoot also, reality shows. Mm-hmm. So cheap. Have you thought of uh, putting anything together for like Kickstarter or anything like that for uh, for the series? Yes. Yes, we are going to do that as well. Um, we did a little bit of a Kickstarter campaign, campaign earlier. Um, that didn't do too well. It's tough. a tough one. Yeah, it's yeah. tough. It's tough. It didn't do too well. Um, so we're going to try again. We're definitely going to try again. We're determined. Uh, you know, 
I got to give Aaron a lot of props. You know, we stop talking, we start talking again, you know, and he's just, he always comes back to this because it's something that he really wants to do and that he really wants to shoot. And I'm really lucky that I get to be so hands-on with him and work with him on this. So um, I think it's going to happen. I just want to take some time because it's indie, but that's fine. So... You you ever thought about maybe shopping into like something like Netflix or anything like that? Because I mean, that's sort of like in in sort of indie in a sense, even though they're getting big. We have talked to WB. We have talked to Discovery Channel. We have spoken to Netflix as well. Uh, Those conversations pretty much boil down to show us what you can do. Mm. That's pretty much how those conversations boil. It's either show us what you can do, or we'll give you X amount of dollars, but we'll pick the director, we'll pick the writers, and we'll pick the actors. Yeah. And uh, well, yeah. In other words, it's not your product anymore. It's, exactly. Well, exactly. you left, no but that's how Falling Skies started off. That's true. I believe it. Yeah. I believe it. I believe it. But Aaron and I, you know, we want to do this ourselves. So it's not one of those where we just want to give somebody a whole lot of money and watch it, you know, take off. So I mean, we're willing to to dig our heels in and get dirty and you know take our time and do it the way we want to do it and see how it goes. Just stay away from Amazon, by the mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that Kindle Fire really rocked over uh, everybody. (laughs) Everyone's got a Kindle Fire. Hearing Amazon get into fights with, like, big publishers and that sort of thing, it's almost like two bullies swinging at each other, which amuses me. But, I mean, you know, there's some legitimate arguments on both sides. But, yes, I will. uh, We will definitely stay away from Amazon. I mean, even if they do decide to pick it up and and they have you, you know, do the pilot, you'll never get a second episode done, ever. Right. No, and that's, that's, it's, yeah, it's it's horrible. I'm still waiting for the after to be continued. You ever, you ever seen that series? Oh, what that's series? Chris it was Carter one episode. Series, right? Well, yeah, the one episode for the series, yeah. the after the uh, Chris Carter series. Uh, I don't know why they didn't continue. That was a great ep- pilot it was episode. Picked but, up. I know that. Yeah, and, and they never did anything with it. So it's yeah, stay away from Amazon. From the last I read, it was coming out in 2015. Yeah, uh, last year, and, and nothing happened. Hell's freezing over too, folks. Just one. Yeah, yeah. X Files Three is coming also. It's yeah. a true story. Uh, yeah, Labyrinth yeah. Two is also coming out as well. I saw a great poster for that yesterday. Photoshop is, is amazing, it really? isn't it? Photoshop isn't. No, it's not. It's really not. I got excited for a second too. It's really not. Oh, <laughs> uh, see, you got me all excited. Was see, the really fanboy cool in me got all excited. It was a really cool poster. I have to get. Hey, I, ju- I just found out that Steven Spielberg is uh, going to produce Gremlins, the remake. They what? Remaking yeah. Events. They should really stop. You know, I, I, I'm waiting for him to do Ghost in the Shell. But, um, yeah, Gremlins again? Yeah, I'm going to have to pass on that one. I don't know. I, I like Gremlins. I, I loved Gremlins, too. I just wish they would leave things alone. I understand that Hollywood is running out of ideas. Well, you know, yeah. you should start talking to people who are trying to make indie productions if you need more better ideas. No, yeah, but look, remakes have always happened. It's not like that's a, a new phenomenon. I mean... Remakes have been happening since the beginning of time. The, the Fly in the 80s was a remake. So <laughs> Is it really? What was the original you, one? you never seen the original Fly with Vincent Price? I, now I want to see it. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was you have to Price, see it. Yeah. yeah, it was a great movie. I mean, the original was a great movie, but the remake with uh, Jeff Goldblum was incredible. Yeah, no, that was uh, a, I really enjoyed the Fly. Yeah, that was a completely messed up movie. It was awesome. I even liked the second Fly. With, I liked uh, the second Fly, too. Ah, see, great oh, that's the one with Eric Stoltz, right? Yeah. yeah. We share something as well, Angel. I am also a huge Christopher Nolan fan, and I thought Interstellar was amazing. Nolan Knights! Um, I went to actually go see it in a real IMAX theater. Like, that's, a, like yeah. a dome one. That was awesome. Okay, Crystal, what area do you live in? I live in, currently I'm in Daytona Beach, Florida. 
Yeah. Okay, get all your asses up to the IMAX <laughs> that's in Orlando. Okay. We're going to have a big gathering there. Let's we're do get, we're going we should to do have... that because we're all in Florida. We should actually make a trip yeah. out of this. Let's do this. I am down. I got my Disney like passes and my parking passes. We used to live in Orlando. We are, I live in Daytona Beach now because of my brother's job. That's, yeah, whatever. And I'm an hour from Orlando myself. So there. Ha ha. I'm four hours away, so that's a long drive. It's a long drive. That's okay. It's worth yeah. it. Yeah, that's right. It's worth it. But it is worth it. Interstellar is a great movie. So, I mean, what do you think of the science behind Interstellar? Because I know you're, you're a big sci-fi geek like me and I Alan over here, and I, you love this stuff. I do love that stuff. I, You know what? And, and I, it was great listening to you guys' conversation because, okay, number one, I am highly amused when I hear scientists getting mad over a fiction movie. Yes. That's yes. <laughs> Thank you. Are, like, whatever. This is why I love this lady right here. That's, yes. <laughs> okay. That aside. Number two. <laughs> and there were, like, deep discussions in the car on the way home after Interstellar because I'm with a household full of geeks, okay? It's a so, Nolan movie. That's how it happens. It's it, a Nolan movie. Okay. So I, if, if I say – okay, I'm trying not to give away spoilers, but based no spoilers. on what scientists know, okay – the moral of the story is you don't know. You do- when I hear discussions about what scientists think a something something is, because I don't want to give away spoilers, um, <laughs> and the two different schools of that. So you- tough to talk about this movie yeah, without giving away spoilers. It just lets me know that you <laughs> don't know. And I think one of science's biggest problems is that they have lost their imagination. You should yes. look at a movie like Interstellar and you should not – go on a tangent and give me all these reasons why something like that shouldn't happen. If you're a scientist, you should look at that movie and go, hmm, could this be possible? How could it be possible? Especially when you delve into topics like quantum physics, which takes Einstein's theory of relativity and just shreds it to pieces. So that's why I don't understand why – I mean, I kind of do because egos and that sort of thing. But really, I think the reason that I don't have a lightsaber yet is because scientists are arrogant and stubborn and have lost their patience. Amen. This all started last year when Neil deGrasse Tyson went haywire on gravity and how that movie was completely flawed. So It's fiction. It is. (laughs) It's a fictional movie. It's a science fiction movie. And here's here's the thing. With this movie, about it being fiction, is they came out ahead of this saying they worked very closely with Kip Thorne the entire time. And so I think that's why you're getting a lot of the backlash on the... Well, because there's some some of the science in the movie is based on real theoretical science. A lot of the science is not all of it is based on theoretical science. But here's the thing: theoretical science changes often. Theoretical because people yeah, and it's all theory. In theory, it changes. Yes. So, you know, people are going to butt heads over theoretical stuff in the movie. But again, it's fiction. Who cares? It's a it's a great story. Uh, the acting is phenomenal in this movie. It really I mean, is. It, I got Matthew it. That's why I'm going to say again. So dun, dun, dun. I want it's one so of those good. robots. So yeah, bad. I do too. I do too. I, it was, you know, it's very hard to make a movie that is both tells a story um, and combines action. Like normally you can't get those two right because you got 120 mm-hmm. pages. You only have, a, you know, you literally have 120 pages to try to do something. So normally you have to pick and choose. I yep. thought Interstellar was very well done with the mm-hmm. action and the storytelling. And yeah, the acting was just out of the park. I thought it was good. Yeah. I got to admit, what? the mechanics of the robots were really, really interesting to look at and contemplate why aren't we doing that? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, I we thought will. That was I mean, very well done, we too. 
with the way robotics is moving along, we will be doing stuff like that in the near future. So well, obviously someone got the idea somewhere. So you know. Exactly. All right, now, me and Rich Giordano go back five years now, folks, and uh, he's a very controversial dude, really, really controversial. Uh, but you know what? He's uh, actually a very good guy. And, uh, you know, we had him on back in the middle of the year, and it's funny because him, you know, his claim to fame and, and this whole ufology thing is his uh, anger towards mainstream ufology, you know what I'm saying? You know, he really doesn't like uh, the fact that there's a lot of hoaxers and stuff in ufology, and he kind of, you know, takes a little offense uh, to people that lie, and he goes all out, man, you know, he's hardcore, he's in your face. But, you know, he's mulled out a little bit over the last few years. And, again, he's a good guy. Look, he had some beef, you know, with a bunch of people. And, uh, unfortunately, Bill Burns' name got thrown in there into the whole thing. And it's sad, but it happened. Uh, but you know what? Rich was a bigger man. He came on uh, the show here and he apologized uh, to Bill Burns. And that was a really good sign, showing that, he, you know, there is a growth with uh, with him. And, you know, he's admitted Bill Burns is a good guy. So, you know, I'm, I'm glad to see that Rich was able to go ahead and make amends. And it was a good show. I mean, I got so many people talking about this show. I know Alan here missed the show, but I had so many people telling me that, you know, it was a great show. So much so that Nancy and Bill actually invited uh, Rich to be on Future Theater. So for all the stuff that happened between him and Bill and, you know, the stuff that was said in the past and all the, uh, the malarkey and the BS and all that, you know, they were on the same show. He went on Future Theater, and it was actually a very, very good show. Uh, which, you know, shows that, you know, everybody could be a little bit thick-skinned and uh, just let it slide, man. There's no need to be at war with people over something stupid that somebody said. You know, you could, you know, make amends. And uh, and I like building bridges, and it was really cool to build a bridge between Rich and, and Bill Burns and Nancy Burns. And But anyway, this is Rich Giordano back earlier this year on Skywatchers Radio. Me and Rich go back a long time. I've known Rich for we're going back like what almost five years now, Rich. Yeah, five, six yeah, years, yeah. Right. It's it's um it's amazing how time flies, isn't it? It's like a not even a year ago. I remember everything. It's just really <laughs> weird, isn't it? Ah, it's so strange, man. You know, it's funny because Rich at one point did a show on PSN Radio and everything, and then he disappeared for a while. And and really, you've been gone for a while now from the scene. You haven't done your show in, in a long time, and you just recently came back and started doing it again. Uh, what took you away from the radio uh, show? And we'll go into a little bit of uh, the radio show itself and, and go into, like, your background and stuff. But uh, first, you know, why'd you leave for, for about a year? I mean... I left because I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated with you people. You know, ah. really. I'm not, I'm not kidding. Not you in general, but no, people. I people, it's just, I got you. Yeah, yeah, because I, I just started the show a long time ago, you know, 2006, with the hopes and dreams that someday I will be able to show the truth to people and let them know what goes on behind the scenes and let them know that everybody's lying and everybody's supporting the hoaxers just to get their name out there, just to make a buck. So I kind of did the show with that intention, good intentions, nothing – I didn't think I would be hurting anybody by telling the truth. But it turns out that uh, I got to watch my language. So yes, it turns yes. out that everybody here people were hurt. Well, people in ufology <laughs> are <laughs> people in ufology are very thin-skinned, and yes. you would think they're thick-skinned after all the stuff that they hear about their own stuff. But I'm coming to find out that they have so many people supporting them that nobody's told them otherwise the truth, and. 
I decided that I would do my show, tell the truth about what I've learned, how, because I have over 10,000 hours behind the camera at this point. Yes. So In I, fact, Rich is one of the original people that, you know, we got the idea to do a Skywatchers type of show because of our conversations back in the day, because Rich is a real Skywatcher. Like, we were all Skywatching, and Rich was talking to us about Skywatching, when we were like, that should be the name, Skywatchers Radio. <laughs> and, and Rich, I mean, you, you, we never really gave you credit, you know, years ago, but really, you're partly to blame for the name of the show. True. Well, I, I'm, I'm happy to hear that, I guess. Yeah, good. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Well, seriously, so I've made the same mistakes that all these other people who claim have made you know great UFO claims and have these great videos, and then yeah. I learned that, wow, I got the same thing they did on tape, but I actually show the whole video and come to find out that was an airplane at a distance or a balloon <laughs> at a distance or the sun was setting and it was really high up there and it just reflected off the balloon. So – you know, I started naming names and talking about people in MUFON, talking mm -hmm. about, you know, certain people that are really well-known and well-loved in the UFO community, which turned against me because people were like, oh, this Rich Giordano, he's talking about Bill Burns. He, Bill Burns is a respected this and he knows that and he has more years forgotten than Rich has remembered. So, you know, give, but give the respect where respect is due. And I'm like, no, I won't. You know why? Because they're still peddling those fake UFO videos as real, and I'm not going to let them get away with it. And that's what the show became. It became this fight against the machine, <laughs> MUFON, you know, you name it. Whoever yeah. was number one, I went after. You know, and, and it's funny because that's how I met Rich, and we're going to go into a little history <laughs> here. Uh, when I first met Rich, you know, and I said it a few months ago when I had this, when they had uh, Alejandro T. Rojas on the show, uh, the, the first person I ever heard on internet radio was Alejandro Rojas and I was like oh man this is really cool there's a guy on radio and he's doing a show about UFOs I've always wanted to do this I'm a big Art Bell fan and I love you know this kind of topic and this and that and then I started listening to other shows on the network and I found your show you were like the second show so it went from like clean cut Alejandro Rojas you know talking about MUFON and the UFO news and the great stuff and then I hear your show and you're like completely like it's you know a 180 from what's going on and, and you're bashing some of the same people that Alejandro's having on his show and talking to yeah. and this and that and I'm like wait a second what's going on here and look I've always had my skepticism over the years and and whatnot and I know there's a lot of people that you've gone after that obviously are hoaxing I mean, there's no secret that there's a lot of hoaxers in ufology. I have my favorite targets also. Uh, Billy Myers is one of them. You know, I'm, I don't believe Billy Myers. Uh, but, you know, it, it's funny because you were literally the second person that I heard on Internet radio doing this kind of show. But the first one doing it your way, which was, again, it was boss of the wall. It was hardcore. It was, you know, in your face. Uh, the one... Or I should say, there was a couple people that you went after, Bill Burns being one of them, uh, that I was like, wait a second, Bill Burns is actually a good dude, man. And, like, this other guy is actually a good dude. And I yeah. know this one guy, now he's a scumbag, but back then I thought he was a good dude. And, yeah. you know, and, and I, you, this is how me and Rich kind of interacted. I called him one day. I remember I was in the, in the chat and everything. And I was like, Rich, I like your show, but why are you attacking these people? And... You know, I didn't get it. It wasn't, you know, so much that you were really, like, hating on Bill Burns or any one in particular person. You were kind of, like, pissed at the entire genre of ufology. And, you know, now, a few years later, we're looking at what's going on with the world of ufology and how so many known hoaxes are coming to light uh, and so many different things are coming around. Like, look, Stan Romanek was one of your favorite targets. Oh. And look what's going on with him now. 
You know what I mean? So, with you know, there's sometimes uh, there's some truth to some of the stuff that Rich was saying. And back then, you really went at like hard at Stan Romanek. I mean, hard. Yeah, I wished him death. He yeah. did. Not even kidding. That's no, exactly no, I, all the words. I, I wished him, and I and I don't feel bad at all, and I'm glad that all the negative stuff's happening to him. And I also feel bad at the same time for those around him that are suffering because of Stan's hoax. And uh, what comes around goes around, and it came back tenfold for Stan. And a lot of people are like, oh, the government set him up. No, they didn't. Stan's always been sh- – um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's yeah. always been shady. He's always been a shady character. You know, and, and it's funny. I, I was kind of on the bubble with, with Stan because I had him on the show. He's actually been on Skywatchers before. And I was on the bubble with him. You know, I kind of I wanted to believe him just like the rest of the world. You want to believe that this stuff is true. You want to believe that this guy's having these experiences and it's all real. And, you, you know, you really, you know, you really want to believe the guy. And then I saw a video of him literally hoaxing paranormal activity on camera. Oh. On a talk show, I don't know if you've seen this. It, it was on some radio show, I think some Australian radio show, and he's like flicking a big lighter or something in the air, and he's like, "Oh, where did that come from? Oh my God, where is that? We have ghosts!" Like literally, he's you know, like playing it off like there's a ghost activity going on, and the the host is so like ignorant to what's going on and not really paying attention that he falls for it. And as soon as I saw that, I was like, "I'm done with Stan Romanek." Then a month later, two weeks later, whatever it was the whole. Scandal breaks out that you know he had all the evidence in his computer that they they found, yeah. uh, which is kind of ironic that it was like two weeks a month later after that. No, it's video, not ironic. So. It's not ironic because they've been watching him for a long time. It doesn't just happen in weeks. They've been watching him for a year, and uh, if you really want to know the truth, uh, Stan is probably been doing that his whole life he just got probably caught. yeah that's what happens you get you get careless and you get caught and i don't have believe it has anything to do with his video or with his uh that show from australia it just so happens the guy got buzzed oh no that was just coincidence it was yeah, coincidental. yeah, yeah it was well, just coincidental but one thing i am very well of course i claim to be the the best uh BS detector on the planet. I'm very good at detecting liars. I'm very good at knowing people when they lie, their body, their mannerisms, their facial expressions. You know, all that stuff that goes into lying, I can pick out and I can hear it. And Stan Romanek's video, that alien in the window, that is the worst acting job I've ever seen. Uh, everything about that video is all wrong. Everything. Mm-hmm. Everything about it. It's all wrong. It doesn't make sense. It's a total lie. Well, anyway. But, well, that, uh, one I, that one I concede on. But Bill Burns, he's a good guy, man. You should really no, reconsider. <laughs> I apologized years later about the Bill you, you Burns. You did, actually. Comments. Yeah. What, you, know, you did apologize. I remember you came, uh, was it on uh, one of your uh, Block Talk shows, right? It was on AZ UFO. Yeah, show. yeah. It was on my yeah. show. And um, I, I said, you know, I did a show called Who's Gay in Ufology. And, uh, <laughs> well, nobody talks about this stuff, right? Uh, I mean, how many black people, you know, sorry if I'm saying that, if that's an offensive word to people, but uh, African By the way, er- everybody, if you want to send some hate mail, uh, please send it to Rich Giordano, not to our show. It's okay. I could use the attention. <laughs> um, how many African-American people are abducted? How many Chinese people are abducted? You don't see that. It's, I mean, they are, but we don't see them on TV. It's right. always the American, you know, Americans white guy. doing it. Yeah. But anyway, um, I digress. Uh, <laughs> No, I but you know what? Uh, you, you did apologize to Bill Burns. I apologize. Yeah, because it, I, it's like everything. That, look, it's like everything that happens. You know, the negative stuff they heard. I'm sure, uh, but when you apologize, I'm pretty sure nobody brought that to their attention. That you know, there was an apology said. 
No, the, yeah. there was an apology show I did, actually. Yeah. <laughs> you probably remember I did the apology show and I still brought out the negatives anyway. Um, yeah. <laughs> I said, I'm apologizing for Jeff Woolwine because, you know, he's a nice guy, but he still faked those videos, you know, that kind of show. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, yeah, um, Bill Burns, he is a great guy. There's nothing wrong with Bill Burns. I just don't like the fact that he admits to almost everything as being an alien contact or. Oh, know. that's not true, though. I mean, like, you know, this is funny because I'm now producing Future Theater. You know, I yeah. get to talk to Bill Burns and Nancy Burns all the time. In fact, shout out to Nancy Burns. She's listening in tonight. Hey, Nancy. Hi, Nancy. Hi, Bill. Hey, Billy. You know, they really are great people. And, you know, <laughs> I'll tell you what, there's been times where we've gotten into conversation and stuff. And, you know, Bill is as skeptical about a lot of the stuff as we are. You know what I mean? It's just, you know, you got to understand when you're doing a TV show and you're doing shows based on going after certain material or going after certain footage or going after certain uh, people that are saying they're abductees or whatever, you know, UFO hunters, whatever they base their shows on, you have to kind of like ham it up for the audience, for the crowd. You know, that's kind of part of the job. But he is as skeptical as a lot of us. And, Believe it or not, the guy is incredibly knowledgeable, which is crazy. Like, I, I, sometimes I tell Nancy, I'm like, just let him go. Like, because he gets into, like, you know, his little rants and he starts talking about stuff. And I'm like, just, yeah. shh, just let him go. It's, I, I'm actually interested in hearing what he has to say right now. Like, and especially when he goes off of, like, John F. Kennedy and Dr. Feelgood and all that stuff. Like, he knows his stuff, man. Like, he's one of the dudes that you just want to sit back and just well, say anything, you know. That's what made me want to apologize because one day I was listening to him on YouTube or something, right? And my, when I was married, my wife goes, uh, she goes, who is that? I go, why? She goes, he's awesome. He, he just knows his stuff and he's, yeah. very, and he's very enthusiastic, she says. And I said, yep. it's Bill Burns. She goes, get out of here. And I'm like, no, it's Bill Burns. She's like, don't you not like him? I go, no, he's good, I guess. <laughs> you know, And I'm like, wow, you know, I, I really looked into it a little further. But the show I do, the show I was doing and still do, um, it's it's not to bring shock value. It's just to tell people straight out in a blunt form that this is what I think and I'm not going to shy away from my thoughts. And I know a lot of people in ufology are thin-skinned and that's just it. I'm not thin-skinned. You know, I've been called everything in the book, too. People call me a hoaxer, a liar, and all that other stuff. And that's one thing I, I've never done was hoax a video. So say it. Try and prove it to me. I have nothing to hide. When people get defensive and they shout back at me, they have something to hide. Uh, you know, going through the list of all the shows we've done this year, Alan, there was a few of them that were kind of surprising that I didn't expect I mean, to be as much fun. I mean, stood out to me. Well, see, yeah, that but was technically that was last year. That was in December of last year, so well, okay, you can't count yeah. that. All right. You know, we're, we're talking 2014 here. And by the way, in 2013, that was my favorite interview. Yeah, that, that was by great. far. Yeah. By far. Uh, but no, for 2014, there was a few of them that really stood out. One of them was a guy who I couldn't even pronounce his name when I first had him on. And I was like, I was scared to pronounce it because I had seen videos on him and I knew how other people pronounced it, but I didn't know they were right because it you know, was spelled a little bit odd. And uh, it turns out he was a, a great sport about it and a really great interview. Uh, Larry Seekander. Oh, Remember okay. him? Yes. That All the way back on 7.30, we had him on here. Wow. Uh, do you have a clip on that one lined up? Is there something of special course. that yes. stood out to you? 
Well, you know, the whole interview was great. I mean, it, I mean, literally, like I said, I was surprised uh, about you know how good of a, of a interviewee he was. But really, when we were talking about the object, you know, remember he has an object that he claims is proof of an alien artifact. Uh, right. When he's talking about the object and how the scientific community is not taking it seriously and it's not really doing what they should do to, to get this out there to the mainstream and prove whether this is real or not. When we're talking about that, I mean, I, you know, it really like a red flag went in my head saying, yeah, why is that happening? Uh, you know, and it was really intriguing to hear him kind of explain away how, you know, he's going about this and why it's happening and how he came uh, to really own this artifact and, and, you know, be in possession of it. Right. Uh, really, really great interview. So let's do that. Let's roll that clip. This is Larry Seekander back on 730. Story of how you came to the possession of this artifact and what exactly is the artifact as we know it right now. Okay. In 1996, I retired or semi-retired, moved down to Missouri and near Branson on Table Rock Lake. And I met a guy by the name of Bob White. Uh, he's wanting to buy a boat from me. I was in the boat business, and I had a used boat. And he's wanting to buy a boat, and I was wanting to sell one. He wanted to trade. He was doing a little hustling around. He never bought the boat. He used my boat forever, and we become great friends. I had seen his show on History Channel with Stan Freeman. And over the Roswell deal that he had broken. Okay. And I was really impressed about that show. You know, and I really didn't think a lot about UFOs, aliens, or anything else, you know. I'm big, big concerned as how big was the catfish out of the lake that I was going to catch. <laughs> you know, I, that was what I was worried about. So you were never into the subject, just to clear that up. You're never really into UFOs, ufology, aliens. That wasn't like your thing. No, no, it's not my thing. You know, I'm a, okay. I'm a pretty basic redneck son of a gun and running around you know, what you see is what you get you know if I say say something that's pretty much what I think and I never really thought about aliens or UFOs or any of that kind of stuff and like I said uh, I'd seen the show on History Channel with, with Friedman so the next morning me and Bob always ate breakfast together in the morning and down at the restaurant and I'm sitting there hey Bob I said boy you should have seen this show I seen last night with aliens and uh, bodies and spacecraft and all kinds of stuff. He's sitting there stuffing his face full of food. He said, hell, that ain't nothing. I got a piece of one over at the house. I'm saying, yeah, Bob Wright, you got right. a piece of a UFO at your house. He says, yeah, I got it in the closet. Well, hell, well, that's where <laughs> Doesn't everybody in the South? I don't know. Yeah, well, that's where I keep my piece of UFOs in the closet. Yeah, I got an alien so, head in my closet. Deal, like, you know, this sounds like a great, great deal to me. So anyway, after breakfast, I said, man, I don't want to see this. You know, I, I know this, you're yanking my chain. So I go over to the house. He goes there in the back bedroom, comes out, carrying a gun case. I said, okay, well, he has gone over to the edge, and now he's going to shoot me. Anyway, he opens this thing up. <laughs> There's horror movies that start this way, by yeah, the way. Yeah, the horror movie saying. starts like this. It's quiet, you know, in a, a real, real quiet, white-haired guy with a beard. Yeah, I'm Such hearing the, the Jaws theme in the background, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah I hear the Jaws theme, right? <laughs> he pulls this gun case out, unzips it, and he pulls out this object. And it uh, it looks like to me like a teardrop or a pine cone. Okay. Only it was metal, and I knew, because of my background in mechanics and, and metallurgy and stuff over the last 40, 50 years, uh, doing mechanical master mechanic, you know, and I... I cast I'd done high performance work on engines. I knew this was an alloy aluminum of some sort as soon as I saw it. But the layering on the outside is what I couldn't figure out. 
Okay, now I got to ask a question based on the photo that I'm looking at on Facebook, and I'm sorry to interrupt. That's but right. does this look like it's an actual device or part of something larger? Or is it something that broke off of the outside of the ship? I mean, I'm looking at it and I can't figure out what it is. I mean, for all the way it's looking, hell, for all I know, that might be the tip of their version of a nuclear warhead. I mean, I, I, I'm just trying to understand. Uh, based on your skill set and your engineer background, what function did it serve when it was attached to something larger? I guess that's the best question. Number one, we have no idea how big it started out at. Okay. Because it came back from the at back into the atmosphere and was under it was under power or was being forced ejected was ejected from some some kind of uh, machine or something. There was intelligence behind to manufacture this object. We know right. it was manufactured outside of Earth's atmosphere because of the testing we've done on it. Were you able to x-ray through it or at least see through the entire object? We haven't x-rayed it yet. Okay, I'm, I'm just wondering, is it a solid object of the same material or is there something else inside it? Well, we don't know. I don't know that answer. We yeah, know yeah, the, yeah, end, cut the, end was cut, the, the flat end was cut off at Los Alamos. Now, that's a solid okay. aluminum or it's a solid inside. Oh, okay, and, so it's a and, solid uh, piece. Yeah. You gotta remember that this object. If you're looking at the picture on the website now, mm -hmm. it's got flat ends, the top and the bottom are flat. Right. And people mistake that as well. That's coming from a table underneath a grinding wheel or something like that has caused that. Right. The end was rounded, the tip or the end, and the other end was pointed. Right. And this was a long. This was object was about eleven and a half inches long. So um, anyway, wow. Uh, the 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 flat spots on on the object now are from testing that has been done in Los Alamos and other laboratories around the country. Okay. Uh, Los Alamos test itself called the object unknown object of unknown origin nineteen times in their test. Okay, I got to ask the next question then. How many? How much of the object is not on the periodic table of elements? Everything so far that uh, we can find. That's been identified and can be found on the periodic table. Except oh, okay. for one test, except for one test that NIDS did, uh, the first test that they they performed back in oh I think ninety ninety six or ninety seven. All the stuff's running together now after eighteen years. But right. um, that that test showed twenty two elements identified in, under their testing you know, on a basic elemental test. Right. But you add the numbers up. On what was found by them, there's a percentage missing. So either they missed something, their calculations are wrong, or there's an unidentified element. Okay, so there object. is so there is an unidentified element that's not on the periodic table. Right. Well, according to that test, but see, we've had twelve or twelve, fourteen different laboratory tests. And they're all saying they metals. found, and they're saying they found everything that's part of the actual object. Well, we've got up to thirty-three elements now since then. Okay. You know, uh, like I said, the first basic elemental, uh, we never got a full list from Los Alamos, so we don't know what they uh, what they found, but we know that they kept a piece and sold a piece of it. Okay, is there is there a percentage that's still missing that you're trying to figure out what is the other, what else is it made out of, I well, guess, I, the best question? 
again, like I said, we've had testing done everywhere, and none of the tests are exact on their on their findings. Every one of them is a little bit different. Okay. Why do you think that every, is? You know, every, every lab is there's not a consistent test that has ever shown. That's bizarre. Exactly the same thing from various various machines. Now I've got some testing that's going to be coming up here in uh, Carolina. If I can ever get down there with enough money to make the test, make the trip, uh, that we're going to do some basic elementals and X-ray diffraction tests again on on the object. Now the X-ray diffraction test we did in 2009 showed an amorphous peak, which is a polycrystalline uh, element. It's very very hard. It's not found in anything made in our aluminum manufacturing process. Okay. It, 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 it ain't there, brother. You can't make it. I'd like somebody to show me one. In <laughs> fact, I've said from day one, all you have to do is debunk this case, make me one of these. Looks like. That's all you got to do. Just make me one that looks like Bob White object. That's all you got to do. You know what? Ain't nobody showed me one yet made out of aluminum. Now, when when some of these scientists uh, saw this thing, I mean, what, what was their reaction when they saw the elements that... Uh, have you ever seen a thing? deer standing on the side of the road looking at the headlights? <laughs> That's what you see. You said, okay, Duh. so does that mean you ran them over? <laughs> yeah, Metaphorically speaking, I think you did. Yeah, a couple of them I'd like to, believe me. We've been on a Tijuana two-step UFO dance on this thing since 1996. Uh-huh. And... We've been ignored by the UFO community. We've been ignored by mainstream scientists. Uh, there's only been a couple of people that's really, really, really gotten on board with our testing. They're okay. trying to figure out how to sit there that they can profit. You know, I'll be right. I'll come straight out and say it. 98.7% of anything in the UFO community is BS. Right. It's crap. Yeah. It's true. You know, and I'm sitting there showing you something that's real. You can see it, touch it, taste it, smell it. Test. What do you think? What do you think the UFO community has not embraced the story a little bit more? I mean, just because they they want to make profit and they don't see profit, or uh, I mean, of course, if it's a legit story, I mean, that you would figure they want to do some documentaries and write books. And I know yeah. you got a book, right? Well, yeah, you would I've think, and you would hope, but doesn't mean they're actually going to do it. Well, you would figure they yeah. would, but you well, got I a book, can, right, Larry? I can count on I can count on one hand of people's help. Us. John Greenwald Jr. was the first person that really got on board with us. Back in 2000, I met John on the internet when he was still a snot-nosed kid, still in high school. He actually wrote us into his book, on his first book that he wrote, on why he started the Black Vault. And the case that Bob had, that we had at the museum, was a very credible case and the reason why he had started the Black Vault. It was for people like us to do investigations. And from his research, right. he come up with a uh, file from the United States Army and uh, was released in 2000 under the Freedom of Information Act. And uh, that particular file is numbered 202085. It was on the Army Intelligence Corps, or Counterintelligence Corps. And in that file, there is a picture of an object recovered in Denmark in 1947 prior to Roswell. That looks exactly... Exactly like Bob's object, which was covered in 1985 in Colorado. 
Now, the amazing thing about listening to this clip, Alan, and listening to uh, Larry C. Kander talk about his object, and the, the especially at the end there, talking about the image uh, they found that looked like the object that he had. Right. Uh, you, you know, a lot of this stuff, obviously, you could be saying, well, it's hearsay, it's just, you know, his saying what he's saying, but, you know, what's the proof? Well, you know, he's talking about governmental stuff, right? Okay. Well, how involved would you suspect is NASA with a lot of this stuff. Oh, you mean that organization that stands for Never a Straight Answer? Right, you know, those guys. The, oh, yeah. The, the Never a Straight Answer, folks. I mean, you know, when it comes especially to space objects, you know, they're looking constantly, right? Uh, when it comes to any debris, I mean, and NASA, would, I think, would have an inside uh, to all this stuff. I mean, and NASA, I'm pretty sure, has been very, very involved. In fact, we had Kevin D. Randall back on April 1st, and it right. wasn't an April Fool's joke. It was... He was really on the air with us, Kevin D. Randall, great author, really fun guy uh, to you know to talk to. Just a, an awesome, awesome uh, interview, and just you know, overall, you know, in private, really nice guy to just chat with and, and pick his brain about ufology because he knows a lot of this stuff. And, oh yeah, yeah, he's he well versed. He had a lot of interesting uh, things to say about NASA off air <laughs> and on air. And in fact, <laughs> let's play a clip about. I think this is about 20 minutes into the interview when we got into the whole NASA thing, and what he had to say was pretty remarkable. How involved do you think NASA's been over the last uh, 40 years with the cover-up? It's it's got to be involved. I know that that I think it was Jimmy Carter wanted NASA to look into UFOs, and NASA said, Mm, how are we going to do that? (laughs) And in a public arena, I can understand that completely because it would just be uh, the the mess that the Air Force was in. They finally managed to extract themselves, and the Air Force or the NASA didn't want to take that on. But but the point is, we're talking about space flight here. NASA has got to be involved in at least parts of this of of these studies. And I I know that some other people. I think Leslie Keen in her book um, looks at some of the NASA involvement in this. Uh, I didn't really go into depth into the NASA thing because my research took me in other other directions as I was looking at looking through all these government files. But but uh, that's another area to explore. You know, the NASA thing is a little bit you know really uh, scary when you think about it. If their connection is really deep with the whole phenomenon, and let's just say we we do find out that there is there has been a major cover up, and we do have this technology, we have back engineered, we've had it for many many years, that we know how to fly these things, and that a lot of the things that people are seeing are you know our own back engineered crafts that we've mastered how to use them and everything. Uh, I think would there be a backlash you think after a disclosure if it ever does happen with NASA because of stuff like the Challenger disaster and other disasters have happened with that technology when we have superior I I technology i don't think we i don't think we understand the technology that's true i, I think yeah, i think yeah. i think when you look at it it's kind of like taking a, up, yeah. a vcr and uh, <laughs> a tv monitor back to merlin the magician yeah. and you show and you show him this black ribbon and if you know the secrets you can get pictures and sound off it but to understand it, you have to understand two things that are invisible, which is uh, uh, electricity and magnetism. There's right. no way he's going to be able to decode that until the technology is sufficiently advanced that he can learn these things. And I think the technology that, that we recovered at Roswell, for example, is so far advanced, we still haven't figured it out. We're kind of still well, in that, that uh, primitive stage. But let me ask you, do you, do you, th- I mean, do you think that a lot of the 
the sightings that people have are legit alien aircraft, or do you think a lot of it, I mean, it is spec engineer stuff, or maybe technology that we've created with ideas that we got from the crashes that we've recovered? I don't think we've really applied much of that technology to our, our research, because I don't think we understand okay. it. I just don't think gotcha. we understand it. I think a lot of the sightings, and this is what kind of frightening, there used to be a program on the Science Channel called Meteorite Men. Okay. And and what caught my attention is they had a lot of videotape or, or or DVD video digital digital video of meteor falls, and you look at those things and you see the objects the UF the UFOs the, the meteors breaking up, and the the they string out behind it and it looks for all the world like a cigar shaped craft with lighted windows behind it, and I, and you're looking at that and you say you know you you catch a glimpse of this out of your eye you see it for a second. And the mind fills in the details, and suddenly you're talking about a cigar-shaped craft. And I think that that explains an awful lot of the UFO sightings. It's something that people have seen out of the corner of their eye. They've seen it for a very short period of time. They don't get a good look at it. Right. And, and, and they think it's something alien or something extraterrestrial when it may be a natural phenomenon. They just didn't get a right. good look at it. Well, that kind of goes actually with... Uh, well, hold the, on. You know, when you say a natural phenomenon, you're talking about something that's actually part of this planet? Or are you yeah. saying well, something no, that's man-made? It could even be... No, it can even be an airplane. Yeah, I, yeah, I assume they just misidentify an airplane. That happens to me, all the time. that's not a natural phenomenon. Lightning's a natural but, well, phenomenon. Yeah, well, it could even be lightning. Well, you can say a man-made phenomenon. I remember looking up one night and seeing what I thought was, was a dome-shaped disk in the sky overhead until I heard the roar of the engines, and the airplane turned just a little bit, and I realized I was looking at a pattern of the navigational lights from a specific angle that gave me the impression of a dome disk. And because I heard the engines and because it didn't fly into a cloud or something, I realized what I was looking at. So that had, had that not happened, I might believe that I'd seen a dome disc at that point. Right. But All the right. point is, the point is, these sorts of things, if you don't get a good look at it, if, it, if it's right. short duration, it's probably not going to be an alien spacecraft. But you look at Leveland, for example, you're talking about people who saw the thing at close range mm-hmm. and on the ground. But they, they see it for a minute or two minutes or five minutes. They've gotten a good look at it. It's not, that kind, it's not easy, easily explainable in uh, terrestrial terms. Well, how, how, how big the percentage do you think uh, is the, the percentage of uh, factual you know, sightings uh, that are not just misidentified air, you know, airplanes or something like that. You know, what do you think is the percentage of the actual reports? I think it's very, uh, very small. Very small, right? That's what I was thinking. I, I know that. Look, I know that uh, Project Blue Book had like what twelve thousand plus reports in there. Yeah. Mufon has. I don't. I don't know how many thousand reports. They had. Uh, they had know, twelve thousand. Well, Blue Book gathered twelve thousand plus sightings. Of right. those, they said seven hundred and one were unidentified. But the problem with their statistics, and if you look at the cases, you find out four thousand of them are labeled as insufficient data for a scientific analysis. What that means is they haven't identified it; they've merely labeled it because mm-hmm. they didn't they didn't want to label a, a case as unidentified because then the public goes nuts. So they they, right. they found a way of slapping labels on them. It's really fascinating how the government and how not even just government, but any organization tries to rephrase what they're trying to declassify as a UFO into anything as mundane as possible. I mean, I'm tired of hearing, oh, it's swamp gas. Oh, you were hallucinating. Oh, you put the tailpipe uh, garden hose into your uh, into the uh, cabin of the car and all the fumes, that's what got you to see what you thought you saw. It didn't really happen. 
Well, that's always been a popular excuse for the government, hasn't it? But not everybody's, uh, you know, encounter is fake, or not everybody's but, encounter but, is real. That's what we're talking be, about here. But to be fair, an awful lot of people are not familiar with what's going on in the sky around them. That's true, too, and, yeah. And, and, and if you're not familiar with that, uh, you can easily misidentify it. And I did, when I was doing my Ph.D. dissertation, it was uh, based on how belief structure influence and identification of an ambiguous stimuli, which means simply you saw something quickly, and how how do you identify it from that from that point of view? And and the discovery seems to be that if you believed in ghosts and that sort of phenomena, then that was how you identified it. And if you believed in UFOs, that was how you identified it. So your belief mm-hmm. structure kind of plays into how you identify this, these ambiguous stimuli, lights in the night sky, for example. Right. But but. The other side of that coin is the longer the witness had an opportunity to observe the object, and actually the higher the educational level of the witness, the more likely it wasn't going to be identified in any kind of terrestrial terms. So you've got some very good sightings that are of long duration, and by long duration would be a minute or more. Uh, the witnesses got good looks at it, and they're highly educated. So in those in those cases, you know, those cases aren't easily resolvable as natural phenomena or terrestrial phenomenon. How much uh, do you think, uh, Kevin, is suggested phenomenon? Uh, and when I say that, I mean from like our films, TV shows, stuff that has come out in pop culture over the last fifty years to deal with the alien phenomenon and that having an influence over people seeing UFOs. You know, I remember back in uh, the nineties when the movie Independence Day opened up in theaters. I I worked at, in AMC theaters back then in 1996, and when that movie came out, it was you know a huge opening. And when I looked at reports years later of uh, you know spikes in UFO activity across the world, it was ironic that on that week there was actually a huge spike in UFO activity, meaning that people were sighting UFOs. Uh, and I you know I found a correlation with a lot of popular films that have come out that deal with the topic that have, uh, for whatever reason, uh, they, they're followed by what looks like a spike in people sight- having sightings. I mean, uh, how much do you think that plays a part in it also, just the actual, you know, pop culture phenomenon itself? I think what pays uh, actually actually is, is more important in that respect is uh, how the the media handles a UFO report, and if somebody reports a UFO sighting somewhere and they talk about that, you get a spike in sightings, not because ne- there's necessarily more sightings going on, but people now know of a reporting point. So they call in and say, well, I saw something strange too, whereas had there not been the initial report, they wouldn't have called in because they wouldn't have known who to call. So I think that plays into it as well. It's, it's part of it. And you look at the UFO phenomenon, there really hasn't been, uh, I, I know after close encounters, supposedly, they said, well, there was a spike in sightings, but I think the data right. show that that did, really didn't happen, the, the, the sightings were going on there. They claimed that the, um, the, the, the sightings at Level Land were a result of the uh, launch of the second Sputnik in November of 1957. Well, if that's the case, how come there wasn't a spike in sightings in October when the first one was launched? And, and if you take a look at the data, you find out that the level land sightings actually come just prior to the peak of the, of the sightings, but it had been building for six or seven weeks prior to that. And then after, I think it's November 6th, which is four days after the level sun sightings, they begin to drop off. And if you take a look at the, the Roswell, with the 1947 sightings, you get, you get, um, Arnold sighting, Played up in the newspapers, and right. then you get an awful lot of sightings. And one one of the one of the people said that well he'd seen something like that earlier, 
but he didn't think anybody believed him, so he didn't tell him until the Arnold sighting was publicized. So it wasn't that it, it was it was creating sightings; it was giving people a reporting point for that. And then the sightings drop off suddenly on July 9th, but we know why they dropped off on July 9th, 1947. There was a story in the newspapers that said the Army and Navy moved today to stop stories of flying saucers whizzing through the atmosphere. So the government, in the guise of the Army and the, and the Navy, actually uh, began to suppress the sightings, sighting reports. They, they wanted them to stop, and so the sightings went away. If you take a look at the newspapers after July 9th, there's not nearly the number of sighting reports as you'd seen prior to that. And now, what do you make of the Lonnie Zamora incident uh, in, uh, what is it, 1964? April, April 24th, April 24th 1964. Yeah. Uh, which, by the way, just so you know, statistically, I think April 24th is the day where there's the most UFO sightings. Yeah, why is really? But one day's got to lead. I don't know why. <laughs> and 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 but 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 they say most sightings take place between six p.m. and nine p.m. And you say, well, why would that be? And well, obviously because people are outside at that time. Unless That's yeah, that makes sense. Well, great, Kevin D. Randall. Of course, going all the way from uh, NASA to Roswell and. Uh, all always place. fascinating, all over the place. But always fascinating, especially the you know the Roswell stuff, because really at the heart of ufology, that's like the biggest case is the Roswell case. Well, I think that's uh, the Rosetta Stone. Can you, can there's call been it stuff that, yeah. before, there's been stuff after, but that was the that was the Rosetta Stone for making UFOs legitimate. In my well, opinion. I don't I don't know if, if it makes UFOs okay. legitimate. Okay, but, let me rephrase it: legitimizing the phenomenon. Right. Well, and you could kind of say that. Uh, you know, I don't even know you really could say that so much, though. You, well, you can't, it, can't it, say that, but it went, it's you know, this, you know the uh, the same way. No, the re- the reason I say you can't so much say that is because I think that you know it wasn't Travis's uh, story. Uh, I mean, that was one in the mid seventies, wasn't it? Or yeah, mid to late seventies, wasn't that already really popular by the time the, the that uh, the whole Roswell thing really blew up? No, uh, when, no, uh, Stan no. I, Friedman... I, I don't know if I agree with that. I, well, I but think... here's the thing. Remember, Stanton Friedman is the one that really blew the water off of uh, the whole uh, Roswell case when he went and visited uh, Jesse Marcel in the late 70s. I think the At shot heard point... around the world for ufology was Roswell, the statement, then the retraction. Well, yeah, but after that, I mean, Roswell was kind of forgotten for years. Well, until Stan, yeah, on st- until Stan, Stan Friedman and Jesse Marceau put it back out there. Okay, all right. So I mean, but again, that happened. Uh, I think after uh, a few years after Travis had his uh, abduction, and that was, I mean, that was mainstream news, man. Hmm. That was all over the place. So I don't know. That's a tough one, but you know, Roswell is. Without a doubt, the most talked about story in ufology. I mean, that case is so scrutinized. It is the quintessential case. It is. It really is. And speaking of Travis Walton, we had Ted Peters on on seven sixteen this year, and he right. got into a little bit with us about Travis and uh, and about other uh, UFO cases. And he has a lot of information also on the world of ufology. And we're going to have him on uh, next year also because he's, he's a really great guest to have on. Uh, so let's check out Ted Peters. Uh, you know, again, this is back from seven sixteen, and he was one of those uh, guests, uh, Alan, that we had on. That I was a little bit surprised uh, how you know good the show ended up because I wasn't. I didn't know what to expect. I had never really spoken to the man before you know yeah. i had read his stuff but i didn't you know i hadn't really heard that many interviews and i was really surprised and he was a great great interviewee one of the things i have to do in this book ufos god's chariots is try to figure out 
What's the connection? Why is there a change? Uh, There's been like an evolution in the phenomenon. I think the change might be that it's not the same aliens that people were dealing with. It might be one. Take care of it. (laughs) Or or maybe they elected a different president from wherever they're from. Or better story writers. And their policy changed. And, you know. That's right. Yes. Maybe on Zeta 2 Reticuli, the Republicans did win the election. (laughs) (laughs) Or, on the other hand, you know, on this world, maybe the deal that we had with them at the time didn't work out, and once Reagan was out of office, things changed. <laughs> well, That's actually, a my theory is a little bit more complex, and uh, people such as David Jacobs and others don't like me for this, but <laughs> I think it was due to a cultural change. Yeah. And if you've got time to hear the story, I'll tell you the story. Oh, please, I, I think agree. I agree already. Time, yeah. yeah, I agree right. already with the first uh, part of that so statement. So what's in common? All right. It's hypnotic regression. Mm-hmm. So if we go back to the beginning of this story, we're going back to the Betty and Barty Hill abduction case of 1961-62. Right. And if you may remember that... Benjamin Simon, who was the psychiatrist in Boston who retrieved Betty and Barney Hill's forgotten memories, used hypnotic regression uh, in order to uh, uh, obtain that. Well, um, after that very, um, you know, uh, high, high visible case, highly visible case, mm-hmm. UFO investigators started using a hypnotic regression to retrieve uh, data about uh, abductions. And all through the 1970s then, you've got Leon, uh, Leo Sprinkle and James Harder and others who are using hypnotic regression. And then something happens in 1980 that most ufologists simply ignore. And that is the publication of a book uh, by, guy, by a guy named Pazder called Michelle Remembers. And in this huh. case, Pazder... The psychiatrist uses hypnotic regression not to retrieve UFO data, but sexual abuse and satanic mm. ritual abuse. And this book gets widely read. By 1982, we begin a new phase in our culture, and that is the prosecution, you remember this, the prosecution of uh, children's preschool and day school workers. You remember that? And uh, by the time you get to the mid-1980s, over 100 cases in the U.S. Um, are accusing day school workers of sodomy, Satanism, mm-hmm. child abuse, etc. And what is common is the use of hypnotic regression with the children to retrieve the accounts of abuse. Uh, the most expensive court case in Los Angeles County occurred during that time, and that was the McMartin Preschool case from 1982 to 1987, mm-hmm. uh, in which uh, the mother-daughter combo was accused of Satanism and sodomy, etc., and um, they they were said, according to the children in hypnotic regression, that underneath uh, the McMartin School was a cavernous basement where these rituals took place. Well, they, they dug down underneath, and of course there was no basement there. And uh, so the McMartins were acquitted, 
And but still guilty jury, in the public eye. The jury said they could see that the counselors using counseling techniques, including hypnotic regression, were leading the children. So it's at this time that suddenly the UFO phenomenon changes. And uh, in New York, we have Bud Hopkins, we have David Jacobs, and uh, Whitley Strieber, a little bit later, John Mack, who start coming out with a whole bunch of books now in which UFO abductions look like the McMartin Preschool. So it appears to me that there's simply a cultural carryover, and the common denominator in all of it are people who use hypnotic regression to retrieve uh, data of forgotten memories. That makes perfect sense. What do you think? No, that makes perfect sense. It, it actually no, it goes does. along. It, it goes along with the, my other theory that uh, you know about the evolution of the phenomenon itself, how it's carried over thanks to uh, you know introduction of certain themes within movies and media and stuff like that, like the Greys, for example. Why did they become the popular choice of what aliens look like? Well, <laughs> that has a lot to do with the movies, the movies that uh, depicted the Greys. Right, That's right. where people get that from, right? Yes, I think so. I, I can't actually date that. I do distinguish between uh, science fiction and the UFO phenomenon. I think there are only two genuinely UFO movies. That's The Day the Earth Stood Still of 1951, not the mm-hmm. second one. And uh, Close Encounters. <laughs> Nobody cares about the second one, by the way. That's right. Wants- Close Encounters <laughs> of the Third Kind, 1977. Yes. Uh, and the yeah. second one is where we get the Greys, but the Greys were actually appearing. Uh, in the 1970s, in the media for right. you know non-blockbusters here and there, but I think that Spielberg finally nailed it down for us. After 1977, it's the Greys, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it, you know, it's funny because it remained that way uh, till now, and still that way. And even uh, a very famous abduction case, uh, the, the the 1970s case of Travis Walton. Uh, which in his book he goes into detail about how he saw yeah he saw a gray grayish looking aliens but he also saw humanoid aliens human looking aliens uh, and that was completely omitted from the uh, movie they just wanted to show the gray looking and mean aliens or doing all kinds of weird experiments on them that's really where Hollywood has gone with this thing uh, and that's I think one of the reasons why so many people are having uh, bad abduction cases supposedly put out there, you know, and they're having all these traumatic experiences, and I think a lot of that is led on by people who are doing hypnosis just like you said, I mean, that that makes perfect sense, it ties in perfectly You uh, interviewed Travis Walton, did he uh, report to you whether he felt that the movie about him was accurate or inaccurate on this or related points? (laughs) Oh my goodness, let me tell you, he was very, very animated about the fact that he dis- he completely hated the final cut of that movie. Oh, really? Uh, okay. I mean, he loves the actors who are in it. He loves the, the writer, uh, Tracy Tr- yeah. Torme, uh, did a, a fantastic job uh, writing right. the original script. See, there's a the thing. that When he was uh, first contacted to make that movie, there was a script that he was already outlining with uh, Torme. And yeah. uh, they came up with a concept to write the story the way it happened. Or, you know, his details of the story, anyway. And right. that's what they put on the script. For whatever reason, once the movie started in production, the studio said, well, you know what, we're going to take off the uh, human-looking aliens. We don't want them. Uh, we're going to just go with the really mean aliens. And, oh, uh, wow. 
there's not going to be any of this stuff, that stuff, this over here. Just remove all. Let's just make it really weird and creepy. In fact, even in the movie, if you watch the movie, the way he's dragged by the aliens in one of the scenes, yes. that never happened. Uh, you can see him like searching around the ship, and there's like glasses floating and things floating. Right. Around. None of that is real. I uh, think it's f- time for a reboot. It is. Yeah, it is. I, uh, and he said that himself. He said that he's I, willing I to do that. Trust Tracy uh, Torme. So, yeah. Uh, did you ask uh, Torme? Did he feel like he was betrayed then by the final cut as well, or, or don't you know? Completely. Uh, like I said, yeah. he wants to recut that movie. And, and, and in fact, when we were when I interviewed him, uh, I said kind of jokingly, I was like, "Well, you know, uh, Travis, it's been so long. If you get those actors again, you're not going to be able to recut it properly because you know." Oh, you'd have to start over. Yeah, from scratch. You'd have to start from as scratch. I, and he- as I uh, said before, um, I I don't think that uh, the other movies, even if they have flying saucers or aliens in them, are authentic to the phenomenon. I think right. you're kind of giving evidence of that, because yep. here you've got Travis Walton, who really belongs to the UFO phenomenon, and then you have yes. a Hollywood interpretation that betrays it, you know, because right. they want to sell movies, and uh, so you don't really get a sense uh, that UFO people, ufologists, don't think like science fiction people. They just don't. <laughs> yeah. And to me, that's one of the nice things about ufology is that uh, it is a distinct subculture, and the media partly gets it, but as in this case, it doesn't get it or doesn't want to get it. Which I think that's what it is. I, I don't think is that they don't want to get it. I think they just don't get it, period. Yeah. Alan, you and I have talked about this before where, you know, in the media, they always laugh when you mention anything about UFOs on TV. Yeah, until you know, it's always, fo- always followed by the background of the Yeah, but it's always TV. followed by, a, like, a giggle, <laughs> aliens. It's yeah. always followed by that. Wow. In fact, I would say the, you know, the last mainstream show that was, you know, was serious about the subject on TV that really, uh, you know, paid attention to what was going on, reported it every once in a while, had interview with big guests, big names, uh, right. you know, everybody from Stephen Bassett and Travis Walton and, and a lot of the big, big names, right. was uh, Larry King. I'd, I'd probably agree with that, yeah. yeah. I mean, Larry King was really uh, adamant that he believed that uh, UFOs and uh, ufology uh, was real, that UFOs were real. I mean, and really, since he left... Main, you know, his TV show, the main show he was doing. I know he's doing some stuff now, also still, but he's not doing that that show that he was doing for years, uh, Larry King Live. Yeah, I don't think he stopped doing that. Yeah, it was, yeah, did he stop doing that? What is he like on Oprah's network now? Own? Who knows? I don't know. That's where he, that's where Larry King belongs, right on, on Own. <laughs> I, I can just see that. He's, the, you know, he's the king and she's the queen, right? Uh, okay, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> This is the best of 2014, and uh, once again, Tim Peters, uh, you know, interesting guest, uh, you know, good guy to talk to. I think he uh, was really uh, well informed. And uh, again, uh, when talking about the Travis Walton case, it, you know, it's funny because uh, to me that really is uh, the one that cemented it for me. That's what got me involved and interested in ufology. You know what I mean, Alan? I mean that that was the one case that I said, okay, uh, now I'm really into this stuff because uh, that is interesting as heck. If that happened to that guy for real, well, I believe it did. Uh, so do I. All right, there hasn't been a lot of people in the last couple of years that have come forward with abduction cases or first-hand sighting cases, 
uh, that had a more intriguing story. I'm talking about Chris Brown, who had a sighting with his son, and really, in one of the most bizarre cases in ufology. I mean, there's so many layers of weirdness in this story, but I believe he really did see what he said he saw. I really do believe he had this experience, and having heard his son actually recount the story, uh, you know, they were on this show on Skywatchers Radio, then they also were on Future Theater, and they've done a lot of shows on on internet radio, and his story is very intriguing. It's very intriguing. Uh, whether you're 100% on board and believe everything or not, it's still a very interesting case, and uh, he's got a lot of coverage. And, uh, you know, I know him now off the air, and he's actually a very good dude. So I got to say that I believe uh, Chris Brown when he says that he saw what he saw. What he saw, I have no idea, guys. I really don't know, but still a very interesting uh, story. So here we go. This is Chris Brown back earlier this year right here on Skywatchers Radio. For the audience right now listening in, there's a lot of people on the you know listening in tonight. Tell us what happened to you, bro. Tell us your story. Uh, mine uh, was just uh, it started off on the uh, 2011 and August 18th. It was at um, nine, well, about eight eight fifty. I went out at p.m. in the evening. I went out to go water my my garden in my back and I watered that for a couple of minutes and pulled my hose around uh, to the side of the house all the way in front to, to water my front yard and I put a bunch of weed killer stuff on my yard that day. I was deemed to water it and keep up and, and uh, so I pulled my hose out. It was oh probably about maybe 9 o'clock around that time straight up p.m. and I pulled it out to get all the kinks out and I found myself out in the middle of the street it was uh, not real uh, dark, uh, but not 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 all the way all the way dark. It was so kind of light, you know, because it was in the summertime. So it was kind of at that point where it was kind of getting dark, but it was still light, you know. Right. And uh, so I have a field all around me, and when I had pulled it out in the road, there's a field right straight. Up above me and I noticed out in the field some some blue and red lights I they kind of really were scattered and there was uh still kind of you know light I just didn't take it in and so um it seemed kind of odd but I just really didn't take it in enough to sit there and, and to take it in so I pulled my hose back and started watering uh and watered the one half of the yard for oh probably 20 minutes I'd say and I have hedges on the one side, so I can't see down the, the field. I did that yard, uh, side of the yard, like say for about 20 minutes, and then I went to go pull my hose out again. I found myself out in the middle of the road. Um, it was a little bit darker, and it was, uh, I'd say, probably, yeah, 20, 20 minutes later. So when I pulled it out, I got, well, let's say, I don't know, maybe maybe 40 feet of the hose stretched out. And when I got out in the middle of the road, it just was boom. It just caught my eye then. And it was uh, out about a mile from me, um, out in the field, actually, on the on the pictures on the site. They, um, um, they show the pictures of kind of the outline of the tree where I'm talking about. Behind the tree was this, all I seen it what caught my eye was this gigantic, huge glass dome that sat on this um, top of this this disc. This disc it had lights going 
around it. I couldn't see the whole circumference of it. It was so big. If I had to put a size on it, um, all that I could put it on would be an aircraft carrier, luxury cruise liner. That's okay. about the only size I could put on it. It had um, blue and red lights. They seemed to kind of be twinkling and kind of going counterclockwise from each other back and forth. And I just, I was like, whoa. I mean, it was, I, I threw the hose. I remember just chucking the hose and getting it out of the street. And I just sat there and just, just awe. I literally sat in there thinking to myself, is this happening? <laughs> is this, is, is this even real? But, uh, I, you know, I, I, I knew, I knew it was kind of real. I mean, I knew it was happening anyway. And so I went and when I went over there to kind of get a better look at it, it, I, cause I, I was, thought I'd seen it maybe kind of start to move, but when I really kind of looked at it and then that's when it just, this, this, uh, this, 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 uh, it's hard to explain cause it was like, you're going down a roller coaster really super fast, you know, and you get that, that, that feeling in your belly where you get that, that a little rush. Stomach. Yeah. A little, feeling, a little rush. rush. Yeah. The adrenaline like, rush. It's adrenaline. It's adrenaline rush is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, this was just kind of, uh, my body, um, all of a sudden got, um, it's, everything was real pinkish, real kind of, uh, kind of blue. It was kind of pinkish, kind of a little, kind of, everything got real blurry. Okay. Just for a second. And I just, oh, in my head, just like, said, oh God, in my head, just, I mean, cause I, I, I felt it. I, I just felt like it was like trying to pull me in or something. I don't know. It was, uh. Like it's a really like odd like a feeling. tractor beam type of like it just like a little. Well, I literally. guess that's all I can say. It felt like I just would have just uh, just let my body go. <laughs> that who knows where it happened, but it was just the first thing because I got so scared, you know, that I felt like that, and I go, oh god, in my head, of course, just, and then it stopped. Uh huh. I didn't. I didn't sit there and go, oh my wow, what a feeling I just had. I just was so still caught up on the moment as it was still there in front of me. And well, Chris, so, let me ask you, um, did you have any missing time when you felt that, that feeling? No, I didn't have any missing time because I had my iPod with me the whole entire time. Okay. And I knew what the times that, that it was when I, when I walked out to, to, to water. And so, um, like I said, I just, I had that feeling for a second and then it, I said, Oh God, and it went away. And I just kind of, I didn't sit there and go, oh, wow, what, how did I just feel? I was still caught, still so caught up in the moment. But I was in a weird situation where it was, I was the only one out there at that time. There was nobody even, no one even on the streets. And I'm in a small town anyway, but still, it was just so dead. It was, nobody was around. It was like it. It, like it, it, it knew that like it was like I was the only one out there or something. And uh, by we'll tell, let's tell the audience by where exactly did this take place? You're out I'm in. Uh, I'm in Sublimity, Oregon. Okay, and that's where this and incident that's, happened. Uh, that's about 50 miles outside of Portland. Okay. Um. So. Uh, anyway, I believe it or not, during this time, I started to rush over to my neighbor's house, and I had really kind of. Didn't know them real well then, and well, just kind of the people they are, and I kick myself to this day, but why I stopped, 
I don't know. But I stopped. And I went back and I had my iPod and, and I went to go look at it. And then that's when I noticed it started to move on me. And uh, then I, whoa. And so I uh, it was kind of like getting the rings up going, oh, yeah, I had my iPod. I mean, I was in such in shock and awe for a little bit. It actually took me a little bit to figure out that, the heck, I had my iPod on me. But I was so I was excited and shaking so hard. I couldn't even, did, I just had the iPod not long. At any point, did you scream to try to get somebody out there to, to like maybe be a witness for you? or You know, I didn't. Would have, could have, should have. Why? I mean, you know, and I could have. Angel, I could have went over to the neighbor's house. I could have banged on the neighbor's door and could have came out there, and I'm sure... But I was just as such caught up with this moment at the time of like, oh my God, this is, I don't know. For all I know, it could have been controlling my brain. All I know is when I well, went that's, that's I actually that's, a, iPod, that's actually, hold on, that's a, actually a, a good question. Uh, did you feel like you were in control while this was happening or did you feel like you weren't in control of your own actions as this was taking I place? I felt like I wasn't in control of my own actions. I felt okay. really, uh, really sporadic in my head. Uh, I'm, I'm usually a pretty clear thinker and, you know, and, and, and try to be, uh, you know, clever, I guess. And to <laughs> me, it, it literally, I put the dum-dum cap on. It's literally what I felt like. I felt like I put the dum-dum cap on, you know, just, ah, uh, and, uh, no, you know, but so the, I... The re- look, the reason, uh, the reason I ask that, or I, I make that as a point, is uh, a lot, often people who have experienced abductions would say that they lose all control of what's going on. Um, literally, you know, they're being led somewhere. They don't, they can't control their own actions, what they're doing, but they're aware of what's going on. Um, you know, that, so I wanted to see if maybe that was kind of what's happening to you. And also, uh, was it, what ha- was happening to you, was it similar to like what happened to Travis Walton that he got hit by that beam? Cause I- I'm surprised you weren't knocked out. So I asked you if you had any missing time, uh, you know, maybe yeah. you, you were knocked out or something and you know, you woke up cause if you're knocked out and you wake up, you might not notice. It might just be very instant mm-hmm. type of thing for you. Um, so that's why I was asking, was there any missing time at all? But you said there, there wasn't, um, yeah, so- I was, I was able to let that when I when I seen the time when I came out because I looked at the time on the oven on on uh, my oven it has the clock on uh, on it okay. and I seen it when I walked out the back to go water and it was eight fifty like eight fifty one or something like that when I uh, p.m. when I went out to go start the water and back and then when I got my iPod out to start to record it has the time right on it right when I turn it on and there's the time on it and then I got a slide you know you got to slide the little thing over and then. Right. And then the dum dum cap went on right there, trying to sit there to to, to get it. But anyway, it's kind of go back to where I was is when I went and I I stopped running around trying to to to, to go to the neighbors because I just was concentrate on okay I have the iPod and and that's when I went and because uh, I noticed it moved three times and so I ran down and I, that's actually really truly the first that I really felt like okay this is happening was when it actually moved because it really didn't move and. It was almost like until it wasn't moving. I was just sitting there in my head kind of trying to think, is this all still really going on? It's crazy as that sounds because it was such an incredible thing, you know, and it, and it was so gigantic. So anyway, so um, that's when I seen it started to, to, to move. So when I ran down to the stop sign and um, I'm sitting there trying to get video record of it, and it, 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 <laughs> I, mean, I can't even figure out how to even record this this 
get the recording button on my iPod. I'm shaking so hard. I actually had the iPod on. I'm missing almost the whole entire encounter trying to get this thing on videotape. I got the thing on the ground, the iPod on the concrete with my finger <laughs> trying to push the button with my hand holding my hand to hold my finger in place because it was shaking so hard. I can I imagine. I'd be... I'd be shaking so hard you can make a martini just putting it on my hand Yo, and let me go. You know, I, Are you kidding me? And I'm the one who always jokes around that, hey, I'm ready for an abduction. Come get me. I, I'm dying to go on a trip. Uh, but in reality, when we get into that position, uh, I'm sure that all of us understand. We would all be shaking, my friends. So. Oh. <laughs> now moving on to something that could not be proven by anybody right now. Nobody could prove that this stuff is real, I don't, I don't think. The hollow earth. We covered this on this show. Yeah, I know. And it's an, it's an interesting topic. I mean, wow, if it was only real, uh, you know, that would make civilization uh, turn on its Weirder. head, literally. Well, yeah, literally. You know, we had uh, back on, what, January 14th, going all the way back here, Brooks Agnew was on the show, and we talked about the Hollow Earth a little bit. Uh, you know, this is some stuff that he's known for. Uh, I've, you know, of course, for years now, I've, I've been friends with uh, Dennis Crenshaw, who's right. a big-time uh, voice in the Hollow Earth theory, and uh, he has, of course, the Hollow Earth Insider and all kinds of uh, stuff dating back decades now concerning the Hollow Earth. Uh, but Brooks Agnew is another well-versed guy in this subject, and uh, talking to him and, and picking his brain about the Hollow Earth theory and about what might be lurking, you know, beneath our feet. He's he had a very convincing argument. Uh, you know, I I got to admit, it's it was a, very interesting. It's it's it, I do find it interesting that you cannot take your own trip without multiple countries permission to either the north pole or the south pole but yeah but how much of that is logistics on the fact that you could die easily up there because it's so cold i think there's enough um warm weather you know cold weather gear that uh really you know it shouldn't be that much of a problem uh, i don't know that's a tough one but uh yeah you know uh, well i mean that's tough I mean, there's so many stories of people living inside the Earth. Now, are we talking about a real hollow Earth, or are we talking about pockets that are so large and cavernous that it has its own biosphere? I think that might be possible. Well, that's kind of what we, what we talked about a little bit with uh, with Brooks and uh, – you know, I, I do think that there is pockets within the Earth where there, there, some kind of a you know society could live in there, some kind of civilization could live in there. I, I'm not I'm not sure if I buy into the whole. There's a sun in the center of the Earth, right? And then all the way around, this land is just uh, it just goes all the way around. Well, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Well, about that. we we you know science today currently all agrees that there's some type of a heated core at the center. That we know. In fact, we talked about that, that on the spins. interview with him. Yeah. We don't know what that, that, that liquid magma. We don't know what that is in there, but, right? We know it's okay. magma, but that's yeah. We about know it. it's there, but we don't know if there's anything in between there and the crust of the Earth. That is correct. So we we, we have I no mean, idea. It, is it possible? All. Who knows? You know, there there are too many things that could possibly be. You know, the Admiral Byrd uh, expedition expedition has always fascinated me, especially talking to Dennis over the years. Uh, you know, he knows details about that thing that nobody else knows and uh it really is a fascinating uh story uh, I, I, I do find said, that, so. i do find that interesting you know i you know i'm 
I don't know. I'm just not. I don't know. I think there. It's a, it's a tough one because I mean, really, you know, it's one of those things where it would be really neat if we could prove it, but nobody has ever proved it. And you would think by now, somebody somewhere with a lot of money would have taken that expedition. Well, and got I'm, up I'm and looking done at it, it this way, maybe the same way you know we were warned off the moon. Maybe we were warned off visiting the poles. Maybe. Of course, there's a lot of people who also think that Hitler survived and uh, escaped to the Hollow Earth and that the Nazis all escaped into the Hollow Earth. And if that's the case, who the hell wants to go into the Hollow Earth? Screw that. Well, we should be going after them then. Well, bomb it. But anyway, let's uh, play this clip with Brooks Agnew back from uh, January 14th. Brooks, question. uh, How long would it take to actually reach uh, the center or the core? With I mean, with technology today. Well, that that's a fantastic question. Uh, there are stories that we have read and that are highly popularized. Uh, one is that uh, an individual walked into the inner earth from right. Mammoth Cave, Kentucky. <laughs> yeah, we went to Mammoth Cave, Kentucky. This this is a a book called Edidorfa, which is Aphrodite spelled backwards. If you, I've been to Mammoth Cave several times. I've spoken to the experts that work there. Some of them are second generation uh, spelunkers that have worked that cave, and the deepest section of that cave that you can squeeze a body into is about 365 feet which when you go there's a long way underground right but but it's nowhere near even one mile let alone you know 900 miles right but let's just think that maybe it's a pretty steep cavern and maybe you could walk in maybe maybe not 90 degrees but let's say you could manage 30 degrees it would still take you about nine months if you didn't stop walking to reach the center, just to reach wow. the, the crest. Brooks, you, let me stop you real quick. We have a caller who just uh, joined in and wants to uh, ask a question. Caller, uh, you're on the air with Brooks Agnew on Skywatchers Radio. This is Dark Matter Radio Network. Uh, you're live. What's your name? Hey, guys. Uh, my name is Jason, and I'm in uh, North Carolina. Listening to you hey, guys Jason. over the Internet on the TuneIn app. Oh, nice. Jason, is that you outside my window? Is that, Are you on the car? <laughs> Uh oh! <laughs> no, I'm I'm driving north from Salisbury, Greensboro. Very nice. <laughs> You're not far. And uh, speaking of the Hollow Earth uh, uh, theory, I'm I'm basically conversant in it. And wasn't Sir Edmund Hillary? Uh, didn't he just claim to have discovered a hole in the Arctic that led to the Hollow Earth? Good question. Uh, there was there were several. There was Marshall uh, Gardner who actually patented the Hollow Earth idea in uh, the early '60s. He ended up. I'm sorry. Dying. Could that actually be patented? Yes. Is yeah. He actually pat- filed a patent on it in the early '60s, and he died of pneumonia in '65, trying to find the opening. Uh, Sir Edmund Haley was the first to draw it up in 1629, and it was actually the reason the reason why the Smithsonian Institute was founded was to contain all the hollow earth evidence. That's the reason why that museum was founded. Of course, it's much bigger than that now. But there are uh, lots of people who have, you know, tried expeditions up there with, you know, uh, uh, snow sleds and airplanes. And we know in in 1926, uh, Admiral Byrd flew over it, and then in 1929 flew right. over the South Pole, and then he flew again over the North Pole. 
But uh, And he did it at 2,500 feet, which you can't do today. No one will fly at that altitude. You have to fly. The lowest we've been able to charter anything, and we never flew it, was 17,000 feet. That's as low as they'll fly. And why is that? Is there a particular reason? It, it's Well, it's not only FAA regulations, but you can't see. It's called scud running because ah. it's constantly covered with cloud cover. That usually hangs around 20,000 feet. And uh, you, you just don't want to fly in clouds in area where you, you can become disoriented. You want to yeah. have some IFR. This is why having a guest who knows this stuff is always a good thing. Uh, explaining exactly, explaining why we can't fly over the North Pole, you know, at such a low altitude and, and why it's so difficult to make a, a trip out there and to prove what's going on with this hollow earth theory. I was theory. just going to get some really, really th- good thermal underwear and, you know, make the trip up there. I, I think you could prove that there's a hollow earth. Well, I could prove you have a hollow head. I think, th- well, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> See, you set it up. I almost made a crack at myself and that would have been bad. <laughs> Sorry. I stopped myself because I do that on instinct, by the way. Folks, if you do want to call in and uh, crack a joke out. at him for his birthday, by all means, go ahead, folks. Call in before we get to the next clip. Which, by the way, I can't believe I'm 37 today. I was going to get you a walker for your birthday, but I'm afraid you wouldn't be able to find it because Alzheimer's is already setting in on you. Yeah, but aren't you older than me? Yeah, but I'm saner than you. Well, this is true. You know, I, I'm that guy, you know. I, that's that's going to be the shirt that I'm going to have to wear you when we turn. go with video. I'm the other guy. You are you the other turn. guy. I'm the more childish one, apparently, by some some semblance of insanity. Someone thinks I'm the more childish yeah! one. Okay, fine. Yeah. So. That, I, I think that was Bill mentioning that. Was that Bill or someone else? No, that wasn't. But you know what? Speaking of Bill... Uh, Nancy and Bill was were also on our show this past year, and uh, you know, of course, Bill and Nancy are uh, good friends. Love uh, interacting with them on this show, and we don't have them on enough on this show. We haven't ha- had them on really uh, that often, which sucks because you know they're a well of information, and I love having. But both they also of them got on. their own show too. But they do got their own show, and I kind of uh, yeah, I produce and co-host with them, so it's kind of odd and awkward. Or you because know, when they're you know when Bill and Nancy jump on this show, it's kind of like it becomes like the, the feature theater almost. It becomes a round table kind of with more future theater than sky watchers because it's bill and nancy man like i don't want to talk when bill's talking i just want to listen <laughs> one of those things you know it's, it's bill burns man like when he called tonight i can't believe you didn't notice that was him i, I, I it, i'm like i know that voice I, I i know that voice but i don't talk to him as often as you do i know i know you know, you know what, and I, it is funny because i wanted he just to just doesn't want to talk to me because i'm that guy you are that guy. I see. I was hoping he stayed longer and he would like talk to us a little bit, but he was in and out quick because you know that's Bill Burns, man. That's royalty. Are you kidding me? So I yeah, appreciate the fact that he even called to wish oh, no, me happy no. birthday. That was that's really awesome. good of him and solid of him. You know, really courteous. That he's the man. He really is. But when him and Nancy were on this past year, back on six twenty-five, it was a rocking good time. It really was. Since Alan is the second in command here. Um, on the show, and right. since Alan has to sometimes... Well, te- no, hold on. Technically, 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 he's the third in command. See, our overlord, Keith Rowland, is the yes. first in yeah, command. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Nobody... Okay, I, would, I would be Keith second, f- and okay, then he'll I'm be third. Nah, Keith is a figment. I'm beginning to yeah. think Keith no. doesn't exist. 
See, no, he see, does. See, like, he does right, exist. Right now, Keith is holding up cue cards saying, I exist. You can't <laughs> see it. He doesn't talk. He just holds up cue cards. Right. In your, in your, in your mind. <clears throat> so I there's want to ask Nancy, you, there's a lot going on in that mind of his. You don't want to well, even start with that. <laughs> I wanted to, yeah. So I wanted to ask you, Alan, have sure. you gotten a consistent stream of hate mail since you started you know, the radio? You know, I don't know because Angel doesn't let me read the email. So I don't know if I've gotten consistent hate mail. Have I gotten consistent hate mail, Angel? Well, let's just say I didn't want to bruise your uh, fragile ego. Yeah. Really? No, actually, no. Come on, come on. I've known. Here's the thing: we don't really give our emails out a lot. We give uh, the, the Facebook page out. Everybody knows the Skywatchers uh, Radio dot com page. And maybe I'm a little too. Find us, maybe my, my borders are a little too impervious or pervy. Per, per, uh, what, per, what's all they have that's, to that's do? Is permeable. Stuff permeable. There you go. Permeable, yeah. that's it. Or Permeable. porous. My porous. porous are porous. Things leak right in and out. It's terrible. It could or be pervious. that. You could say pervious, too. Well, but I got three today. Say, and, and, and I answered one of them saying, uh, you know, I'm sorry. I'm so, I don't mean to be offensive. Something like that. And then I answered the other one with something like, um, <laughs> I mean, I got, I got really schlong today three different ways. And it's like, in one case, I told this one guy, you know, if I quit, then you'll be happy. But so far, you know, you're going to have to be unhappy. <laughs> well, hold on. Let me ask you the question, though. You got three pieces of hate mail, but were they all because of the same trigger point or yeah. different triggers? Yeah, the same. Okay. I got to ask, what did you What's do? What's the trigger point? What is yeah, what was the trigger? Men's, the men folk. Oh, well, she's the great you know, interrupter. That's, that's what it is, Nancy, yeah. really. You know that that you know honestly, they shouldn't be knocking you. They really shouldn't because you know when someone has something really important to say, you could stop a midstream conversation and you know stream a thought because you know you just gotta throw it out there. The same times when we have people that are on here that are telling us stuff, and we're at the point where it's like, I'm sorry, I gotta call Bat Squatch. I know, I know. I know. Yeah. Well, see, that, that's the thing. We have um, sometimes I like to let a person dig a hole deeper and deeper and deeper. I have yeah. a bunch of different ways. I women do that, by the way. Why do women <laughs> yeah. do that? Well, see, that's the thing. I think there's a couple that things. That is so that wrong right. of you women. Okay, and for anybody <laughs> listening who agrees with these kinds of um, people who are good enough to write at least and go in the, and they go into the discus on, on futuretheater.com and they put this stuff. <clears throat> but... Um, for folks who want to hear just Bill, there's a little series um, about a year ago, thereabouts, a year and a half ago, where Bill did the show all by himself for three months. So dive Bill. in. Enjoy. By the way, what part of the country are you guys in? Oh, that's where, right where you are. And that was the other thing. When you first came on this morning, right. I thought perhaps you sounded like you had a cold. Um, my My daughter... And her husband lived right in Jersey City, right next to where you are. Oh, okay. It's very urbanized now. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I used to live in, I used to live in New York about twenty years ago. I lived, I lived in the city and in Queens. Whereabouts? Um, I lived in uh, Midtown, and I lived in uh, Kew Garden Hills and Regal Park when I was wow. younger. Wow. And so, what, did you go uh, to Paul Bowen High School? 
No, 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 no. I got kicked out of my high school. That's a whole nother story. Wow. Okay. Um, really? Yeah. He was a yeah. rebel without a clue. No, but okay, so you have to tell us why. How how do you get kicked out of high school? Yeah, I'm in, intrigued. Of course, in, we're, in we're here to interview Bill's too. I mean, I can't we're, believe it. We're here to interview yeah. Bill and Nancy, but I want to hear this story. So yeah, yeah actually, right. yeah. yeah. No, and, and I should tell the story. And I should tell the story. I'm from the other side of the lake in Forest Hills. So yeah, I I sort of got caught sleeping with the rabbi's daughter. No. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was knowing you, I believe it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. How old was this girl? She, the the right age for me at the time. Okay. Was okay. it true love? Good answer. Um, you know, yeah, but you know the joke: falling out of love is just as easy as falling in love. Yeah. You know, I, that's, I, that's romantic though. And you got okay. It's, so what? It's what a good thing rabbis don't love? excommunicate their flock. Um, you but know, Alan, did you complete high school? Um, yeah, kind of, sort of, yeah. Wow. Um, I I scored. I got kicked out. Um, you know, that wasn't the real trigger, as we're saying. When I got caught, uh, he pretty much called me out in the middle of class as a gigolo. Oh. At which point, at which point, I turned around and said to him, "But Rabbi, I didn't charge." And that's what that's really got kicked me kicked out. Well, are you, how, how tall, <laughs> tall or short are you? Uh, depending on how well I slept, <laughs> about five six, five seven. Okay, so you're a short guy. I'm a short, alti- yeah. I'll admit I'm altitudinally challenged. But you're probably is. really cute, right? Um, <laughs> um I've uh, I've had a f- I, I like the way Angel says I have a face for radio. Um But no, I have a, um, yeah, I have a feeling you have hair. <clears throat> actually, actually, I'm gonna mute myself for a second. Yeah, man. <laughs> He's he must be laughing his brains out right now. Um, actually, I do. This is all bald now. radio. Yeah, this is all, all bald radio. <laughs> oh wow. Um, no, no, no. When when I was younger, yeah, I had a nice thick head of hair, and you know, I I was a, um, you know, I had my my share of you know what you know girls and women in my life and uh, you, you know, did it your way I, I you know i didn't get in well i got into a lot of trouble because you know it's like i i was the cool jew um so you know i i i grew up in a orthodox community or modern orthodox community but because of my upbringing, I also blended into the secular world as well as the the religious world. So and it's I, like staying alive for Jewish boys. <laughs> yeah, I am. Not he was the John Travolta of his neighborhood. Yeah, he yeah. Was. That's a good. But that was a great movie, by the way, guys. You know, unfortunately, that that sounds a little bit accurate, except for wearing the white spandex. No, anything but that. No, not those white that white leisure suit. Well, did you Larry. ever uh, read or hear about the novel Portnoy's Complaint when you were growing up? No, actually, I You're too, way I too have, young. No. Way too young. No. Wait, you should really look into if you're um if you ever have Netflix. Do you ever do Netflix? Sure, of course. Yeah. Type of old movies, you, and nowadays, um, I'm learning about a whole new thing that might. Um, I've never done torrents, and I know they're. I oh. guess are they hundred percent illegal? Nancy. Huh? N- Nancy, it's illegal, but they're awesome. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's not illegal. It depends on what it is. Uh, cert- well, yeah, if you're doing like don't. movies and the stuff torrent like that, technology yeah. is not illegal. Not illegal, okay. That's true. Yeah. Some of the movies that 
are posted on torrents are illegal. But if you go to, let's say, for example, EZTV.it, you could get every TV show that has aired for the past 10 plus years, you are able to download because you missed the episode, which is 100% legal because it was aired on public TV. So EZTV.what? IT. I mean, I, I, I just finished watching Defiance. Uh, wow. I don't know if you're following that or not. I don't know if well, you watch. Well, does it take a, you know? And uh, that's it's kind of like I'm taking baby steps, but but it, because we had to, um, we we've had to try to extricate ourselves um, from Comcast. Oh, just uh-huh. a little bit, not a lot, because they're still uh-huh. our our provider for internet. But but do you guys, either of you, know if there are other providers for internet, or does Comcast just blanket no, the there, area? There, well, there are other providers, but uh, most of them are not as good, uh, unfortunately, when it comes to well, speed. Nancy, what part of the country are you in? Where are you guys? Well, Unless you want to spend a lot of money, Nancy. We're, yeah, we're a in lot. a special spot, and Bill can tell you we can't get Verizon service, for example, where we are. Wow, really? Because Verizon like covers most of the country. I know it does, it does, but the but the 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 place where from where that main switchboard from where all these lines uh, um, uh, diverge, that yeah. switchboard is too far away for the signal to reach oh, us. Cause oh, we, oh, your demarcation point. Is, your demarcation point is beyond two miles. Uh, right, and you have signal degradation. Yeah, I uh, I understand. Um, you know. You might have to go with your local telephone network for what's their version of tripled up DSL. Right. If if that's the only other option that you have. Right. Um, so anyway, so I I simply wow. um, yeah yeah. So All okay, so our, our, talk our chat on our Dark chat Matter is Radio rebelling, network. so we should we, we should <laughs> change ta- our topic. By the way, yeah, all your, all your all your episodes, by the way, are available on EZTV. Okay. Oh, good. You know, and and people download it. That's the beautiful part about it. Yeah, yeah. And, and so um, I'm just starting to learn how insidious it is when um, there are monopolies, as it, as in Comcast. And so um, I'm I'm I I had to research this thing called VPN, Virtual Private Network. Right. Okay. Do you know? Have you ever heard of that? Yes, I have actually. Yep. Yeah. Okay, so that's where I am, and I have a feeling once I perfect that, there's a whole world opens up. Okay. Oh, yeah. Not, wait wait till you be... start learning about the Tor network. Yes, that's what I'm looking at. That's and the what thing we is... call the undernet. It is the underbelly of the, um, it's the yeah. underbelly of the internet. But I have read that it's like 10 or 100 times bigger than the, what we call the internet. Yes, By the way, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, agree with Skinny Bob over here. This is uh, this is boring. Yeah, Skinny Bob. And this is this is a question in the chat room here that I actually just want to jump into because it's actually a good question by Skinny Bob. Uh, but oh, he right. wants to know. Uh, he wants to ask Bill uh, if you have any comments or opinions on the Jonathan Reed case. Because after all, we are Skywatchers Ooh, yeah, Radio yeah, and we are a UFO based show. So why don't we hop into that and segue out of technical Comcast? Well, didn't Reed? Uh, didn't Reed admit that it was a hoax? I mean, didn't. Wasn't that one of the things no, that he finally... No, he, he's still... In fact, he was on some radio show recently, and he's still talking about really? it. Like it's a, yeah, like it's a real thing. Yeah. Well, well now, um, here, here's the thing I want to ask all three of you guys. I'll, I'll ask the question, and you three can answer. What keeps you in this field as more and more of these hoaxes just pile up? 
Well, Nancy, let me start off with asking you a question in yeah. rebuttal to mm-hmm. before I answer that question. Yeah. Uh, you had a gentleman on yesterday on Future Theater by the name of uh, James Gilliland. Gilliland? Gilliland? How do you pronounce that last Gilliland. name? Gilliland. Gilliland. That, that yeah. guy. Uh, fine gentleman, very nice guy. I uh, enjoyed his conversation uh, immensely, but uh, kind of a weird story. The Gilligan Gilliland Ranch. Uh, you know, tell folks a little bit uh, about like what happened. Well, let me tell you why I think he's a valuable guest and a valuable guest or a member of the UFO community until such time as he is officially uh, debunked. And I believe that Rich Giordano might have been a potential debunker because he he uh, skyped me this morning and said, "I really, really uh, think I've exposed this guy." But that's beside the point. I, right. I'd have to see what Rich has. But there's something weird going on in which er- people from all around the world go to his space, wherever it is, his ranch, his his retreat, and they seem to see weird stuff and feel very transformed. And Rich said, if you get a hold of a satellite, um, you know, you can get a satellite schedule and you could basically exactly. hoax. Remember, hoax actually, we, we were talking about that on uh, chat yesterday when you guys were on the air, and I mentioned that uh, that's mm, probably what's going on. Uh, you know, I use different language, but I don't want to use right. that on air. Uh, but, yeah. I, you know, that's what a lot of these folks do. And, look, the reason I brought him up is because, you know, we got into conversation of uh, other folks in ufology. And uh, I find it funny, Nancy, you know, going into your question, uh, I find it funny how a lot of the folks in ufology are very uh, volatile and yes. are and are usually at war with each other. Like, you know, we have uh, James over here who's at war with, uh, let's see, uh, Stephen Greer. He's at war with uh, Mike, uh, Michael Horn and, of course, uh, or, the, or Michael the Martian. Uh, you have no one. idea. We've been in uh, another 10 years on top of your 10 years. Yeah. I think. Well, I don't, I don't have hit, I don't. I haven't hit ten years yet. Not on this. Okay. It's really okay, easy yeah. to rattle someone's cage in this community. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, and and also it everything depends on how you come into the community. I predict if you come in trying to keep, you know, like you've got your hat in your hand and you're being very polite and you try really, I think there's ways not to offend people. And you can come in and maybe have an easier time of it. But right now there are people who are very anti-Richard Dolan, for example. Mm-hmm. Nobody yeah. has an easy time of it. Uh, Angel has had his share of people yelling at him. Oh, um, of course. Alan, and that's why I was wondering, Alan, you seem a little bit immune to it, and um, yet you're still well, see, interested Al- in the topic. Alan, does, Alan doesn't really get into it as deep as I, I've gotten into it, because he's really just uh, started off his broadcasting career on this show. He, yeah, he hasn't I've been, been doing this for a while. I've been in the yeah. community for and a, a while. But well, see, now, Bill, Bill has it the worst. Bill has it so bad, um, A, and then he has sort of hero worship so bad that it's not good, too, so... That he does. That yeah. he does. But that goes with the territory of the stuff that Bill's covered over the years. I mean, uh, look at the, the broad spectrum of things that uh, the Bill's written about. And, of course, we're talking about Bill like he's not even in the room or even... Right, I'm just sitting here. Don't mind Yeah, me. he's just sitting there. <laughs> and that is the great Bill and Nancy Burns telling uh, Alan over here how to uh, excommunicate his flock oh. or something like that. <laughs> Okay, sure, yeah. You uh-huh. you remember, because I know you weren't paying attention to the clip there because you couldn't hear it, but do you remember that uh, that episode when we were talking about your love life? Yeah, uh, I'm trying to forget. Yeah, it was a good one. Go ahead and love it in. <laughs> wow, thank you, damn it. Uh, I love Bill and Nancy Burns. Uh, oh, good and hopefully next year we'll have them on uh, you know, more often and we'll 
cross promote the two shows and they'll be on here. You know, I love, I love having Bill on and Nancy Burns. No, on. They're, they're good people. So, you know, especially when they make fun of you. Of course, you had to do that, didn't you? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Like Bill and Nancy Burns, another person I love having on the show a lot is Robert Morningstar, who has become really a good friend over the last uh, five years, and he's been on this show a few times now. He's been on my Inside the Jackal's Head show a few times, and uh, he's just uh, somebody I love to talk to, even off the air. Like, we chat off the air. Sometimes it's funny because, we were, you know, last time he was on the air, you know, we were on for about another almost 40 minutes after the show, uh, you know, off air, just talking about uh, pretty much what we were talking about on air. And, uh, you know, that happens to me a lot with Robert. And, and there's a few guests like that, but Robert is just amazing when it comes to, like, the amount of information that he has. And uh, talking to him is always, you know, a, a real delight. And uh, he is, uh, he's royalty on this show. And so here we go. This is Robert Morningstar talking about the JFK assassination with Nancy Burns. Okay, she was on the air with us. This is back February 11th, 2014. How close do you think, though, Robert, that Kennedy was to actually uh, releasing documents and, and spilling the beans on Roswell and UFOs in general? Like, how well, close do you really think he was? Yeah. Well, listen, one of, the, one of the stories that I've heard about the need, the essential call to kill President Kennedy on November 22, 1963, was to kill him before he got to the trademark. Because there is, let's call it a rumor, that he was planning to switch his speeches at the trademark and insert a speech that would reveal the Roswell crash and the existence of extraterrestrials, that he was going to go, you know, lone wolf and do this on his own. And uh, I tend to believe it myself. And uh, Dallas is a big part of the cover-up of Roswell because the Roswell material went from Roswell to Fort Worth, which is mm. basically, you know, Dallas, right, and, yeah. then, and then on to Wright-Patterson uh, Air Force Base. But Kennedy had a very early knowledge of the Roswell crash as evidenced by the, the report, the Interplanetary Phenomenon Unit report, specifically cites him toward the end, I think it's point 11, uh, or possibly point 14, but it makes note, in a very interesting manner, it makes note, we have discovered that uh, Congressman John F. Kennedy of Massachusetts has learned of uh, these events, that he was briefed on a flight between Boston and Washington by a staff member of the Secretary of the Air Force. A uh, little one sentence, you know, and he it also makes mention, actually specifically makes mention, that President Kennedy is the son of Joseph P. Kennedy, who is part of the President's uh, Committee for the Reorganization of the Government. Now that is really something, and leads us to another part of the JFK assassination, which was the revenge there was a lot of vengeance being played out in the Kennedy assassination. There was the vengeance of Lyndon Johnson against John F. Kennedy to get rid of him as a rival and to keep himself from going to jail. But the organizers who wanted John F. Kennedy dead really were lifelong enemies of Joseph P. Kennedy. 
mm-hmm. who tried to warn Eisenhower in 1952. When Eisenhower became president, Joseph P. Kennedy said, get rid of the Dulles brothers and sister. There were three of them. Get rid of them. They are Nazis. I helped to prosecute them in, during the war because they violated the Trading with the Enemies Act. The Dulles brothers were part of a consortium of bankers who facilitated the rise of Hitler. They made a lot of money supporting Hitler. Well, they also started the CIA. Of course. Well, the CIA started uh, in Hitler's Hitler's, uh, conference room. It was called the Middleworks. The CIA, what we call CIA, is called CIA not because... Uh, to be mysterious, you know, why do we, like, let me put it this way. We have the United States Air Force, the United States Navy, we have the United States Army. And then we have NASA and the CIA. Now, why are they not called U.S. Space Agency or the uh, United States Intelligence Agency? I'll tell you specifically why. The contract that the paperclip Nazis signed with the U.S. Army specifically cited that they could not work for any organization that had a national title. Right. And that they could only work um, for a a non-nationalistic entity because if they were to work for the U.S. intelligence agency or the U.S. space agency, they would be considered traitors. And they use the word quislings. Quisling, Mm Q-U-I-S-L-I-N-G, was the name of a Norwegian trader who who tra- betrayed Norway during World War II. His name was Victor, uh, Victor Quisling, and he took over and became the uh, the local Hitler, you know, the rep, the puppet. So the word Quisling is like Benedict Arnold. So this is I'm quoting to you the contract that Reinhard Galen, who was the head of the intelligence apparatus, cites in his autobiography. And in that, he has got six points of the contract. One of them is, and, oh, listen to this. Listen to this. If ever the interests of Germany and the United States should deviate, it is understood that our loyalty is with Germany. Wait, this is in the paperclip documents? This is in the autobiography of Reinhard Galen. Okay. Which tells his own story of his capture of his decision to approach his senior officer in the in the prisoner of war camp to make a deal with the Americans to prevent them from being taken over or being turned over to the Russians mm-hmm. because Russians did not negotiate with Nazis, especially after what they'd done in Russia, Ukraine, Poland, etc. It's you know you know what I mean they they were merciless. You know what? Here's something that's very interesting. If you, if you study the James Bond novels, and they should be studied, not read, you have an organization called Spectre. You have another one called Smirsh. Mm-hmm. And people think that they're both um, kind of like uh, fictional organizations, but in reality, they, they both exist, and Smirsh is real. Smirsh is one word of the the Russian uh, the Russian name for their anti-spy uh, organization uh, is Smirsh Spionin, 
and the name literally means death to spies. So you would hear, who's there? Snare spion and death to spies, you know? Mm-hmm. It was sort of clear, pretty clear-cut uh, message. But I'm wondering. I, I got to ask a question, by the way. I'm wondering sure. if any of this stuff that we're talking about here is covered in that new Fleming series, "The Man Who Would Be Bond." I don't know the series. Uh, perhaps you can tell me a little bit about that. It's airing. It's airing on cable now. Um, I don't remember what channel I saw it on. But I'm going to Google it. Isn't the Internet a wonderful thing? I'm sorry for inter- interrupting. I love Google. Love Google. This is an interesting point. Uh, it's, uh, I'm glad you mentioned it. This is from probably the most excited that I've been all year uh, to have uh, you know a, to have any guest on was when I had we had Dr. Michael Heiser on. I mean, I had. Oh, uh, yeah. I haven't been as excited about any guest as uh, as. I was when we had him on, and honestly, I mean, <laughs> I've been looking forward to talking to this man for a very, very long time. I am, of course, a big, big follower of what he was able to do in putting out uh, the fires that uh, Zechariah Sitchin was lighting everywhere with the whole Anunnaki and Planet X stuff, and uh, really just uh, you know going to town and debunking a lot of the the, the BS that was being uh, said. Mm-hmm. And uh, look, people uh, that people love to uh, criticize uh, Dr. Michael Heiser. People love to talk a lot of BS about Dr. Michael Heiser because of what he was able to do. But the problem is they're only doing that because they're a little hurt that he kind of, well, he was telling the truth. Mm, well, well so. the other guy wasn't. So here we go. This is uh, Dr. Michael Heiser talking about the very, very infamous Zachariah Sitchin. Here we go. What you did years ago completely inspired me and turned me around on the whole Planet X uh, you know, theory and the Anunnaki and Sitchin's work. Uh, that was awe-inspiring to find out that you know it was all a big hoax and a lie. And the way you did it was just masterful. Can you tell the audience a little bit about how you started going in on Sitchin and how you know you got interested in talking about what he was working on? Yeah, the it's kind of a weird you know story because what I the way I sort of got drawn into all this officially, I mean, I'd always been interested in UFOs and paranormal stuff and things like that. You know, again, sort of a peripheral kind of lurker. And when I essentially dumped my dissertation for a year, the first year of what should have been my PhD dissertation and, and wrote a novel called The Facade, well, that, you know, long story short, I eventually got on coast to coast because of that novel, uh, mm-hmm. and, and I was familiar with Coast because I'd listened to it while I was in grad school the whole time, and, and there, there's nothing in the novel specifically about Sitchin, but when I, when I got on that show and some other shows, this, it kept coming up all the time. And so I thought, well, I, I need to know who this guy is. I mean, I knew who Von Daniken was and things like that. But so I, I looked for him, and at first I thought, wow, you know, a kindred spirit. You know, he's talking about ancient languages and all this sort of stuff. And then when I got into his work, it's like, holy cow, you know, this. <laughs> it, I mean, this is a bad freshman paper, you know. <laughs> it was red it was, flags everywhere, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, just it, it was one of those things where I don't even know where to start. Uh, because I could just see problems everywhere. And so what I did, again, it might have been a little naive, but I created a website, and I didn't really know exactly what I was doing, but I, you know, it was the, the Internet was, was young, and stupid people like me who thought we could actually put up a decent site did so and you know, either succeeded or failed in whatever area. So I put up this site called SitchinIsWrong.com, which mm-hmm. still exists, and I, yes. I went through basically the 
the, the core items of his, you know, his mythology. And again, since, I mean, I like to say it this way, I am what Sitchin claimed to be. I mean, this, this is my field. I mean, I, you know, when you go to grad school, you got to take all these languages, you know, right. Semitic stuff. And, and so I could evaluate very narrowly in, in, at that point uh, what his language claims were and, and sort of, you know, things like that. And, and the site has developed over the years. I mean, if you go up there now, uh, you'll, you'll see really exciting things like me going to the electronic you know, text corpus of Sumerian literature online. I made a screen capture video. You can watch me with the mouse, and I find the site, and I type in, you know, Anunnaki, and I hit the button, and you get all of the occurrences of the term Anunnaki in the cuneiform tablets, and then you hit the little TR for translate. In other words, you can check up on me. Right. It's bo- it's boring video. There's no special effects. There's no CGI. None. In None fact, at you all. made a, you made a comment <laughs> in one of your videos that uh, this is another stuff you do if you want to get girls. Right. <laughs> and it, you know, you know, I was fortunately I was married. You know, before I yes. was doing stuff. <laughs> but I, I mean, I, w- I would do stuff like that to basically show. Look, I, I don't want this. You know, to be like it's Mike versus. I want you to just know where the data exists. And then go look. I mean, the, the the stuff's out there on the web. I mean, I, you know, I, I canned you know searches through the Hebrew Bible and put the PDFs up there. I'm anybody who's followed me for any amount of time knows that I'm big on directing people to primary sources. That right. usually kills the conversation. Yes. Uh, you know, it, it, and and that's why I do it because I, I I want. When a claim is made about a primary source, well, it would make sense to go look mm-hmm. at the primary source to see, you know, if, if this is up to snuff or not. But, you know, your, your listeners, should, if, if I'm new to them, I mean, I'm not, I'm not Philip Kloss here. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I want, you know, to believe in extraterrestrials. I think it would be just neat, you know, the next best thing to slice bread, that kind of thing. I'm a, I'm a biblical scholar. I don't, I'm mm-hmm. not offended in any way by the idea of extraterrestrial life. It doesn't up, upset any theological apple carts for me. I mean, I, it, it's just, it's fascinating stuff. And so I separate the serious stuff. Mm-hmm. What, I, what I think of as serious ufology a, away from this rather cartoonish, Goofiness. You know, ancient aliens yeah. wackiness stuff. You know, to, yeah, to me, which, they're, they're, different, they're different realms. Which Can we'll I get to that in a second there. Go ahead, Alan. Now, yeah, good ahead. question. Um, Michael, uh, or doctor, whichever you want me to call you tonight. Doctor. Mike is fine. I used well, to tell students they, had, they could call me Mike or your holiness, and it was usually Mike. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's your opinion on the Pope just recently announcing that he believes the Big Bang Theory is actually accurate and true. I think it's yesterday's news. I mean, that, that, and I mean, like, not, well, not yesterday's news, like a century ago's news. You know, it, mm-hmm. it, within both Catholicism and Protestantism, there's, there's very wide acceptance of uh, Big Bang Theory, evolutionary theory. The, the issue, the theological issue for, for people, whether they're Christians or, you know, conservative Jews or Muslims or, or whatever, is... You know, the, the initial causation. In other words, we don't have a problem with evolution. We do have a problem if, if it's totally naturalistic. You know, in other words, right. you leave God out of the, out of the equation. When, no when divine I went, intervention is what you're... Is well, what. I, 
Well, I'll give you an example. When I was at Wisconsin in graduate school, the church I went to there was was a, a campus church, and it was it was heavily dominated by people in the hard sciences. It was really rare to find a grad student or a professor in the humanities like me. I mean, we had the head of environmental studies uh, was in our church. We had the head of the botany department. We had two research physicists who worked in the super collider. We had an entomologist. We had a geologist. I mean, it was just so dominated by the hard science people. And all of them were serious Christians. And they all believed in, you know, they would either call it theistic evolution or evolutionary creationism or something like that. You know, where, where God was the initial cause of the Big Bang. And after that, it's like, well, duh. You know, it, it, they just had no problem with it at all. And so since I've been around a lot of those kind of people, it, it's kind of silly when I hear that, oh, you know, this evolution is just going to crush theism. I'm like, really? <laughs> I mean, you're, you're like, you're so underinformed if you're thinking about that. You're, you're, it's kind of the equivalent of the fundamentalist who's never been exposed to, to Christian scholarship in this area that, that doesn't take like a literal 24-hour debut. It's just underexposure. This is uh, insane, by the way, and I mentioned this earlier. Uh, you know, I am an atheist, uh, but I, I tend to agree with just about everything that Michael is saying, uh, especially when it comes to the languages, uh, because, you know, we were talking about this earlier, uh, Mike, uh, you know, off air, and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's certain truths that, you know, escape whether you believe in God or not, and the the Hebrew language, the way that you talked about uh, the mistakes that Zechariah was making, uh, that right there is where the, the truth is, right? Yeah, I, when it, when it comes to Sitchin, I mean, not not everybody's in this bucket, but when, when it comes to what Sitchin is doing, there are a few items, and I would say that the minority uh, of the issues I have with Sitchin are about translation. The the core ideas, right. it, it, it's worse than that. What what I'm actually saying on the website, and you know, some of these. You know, parts of the website I've talked about, like me searching for Anunnaki, is that his core ideas, such as the the Anunnaki are from Nibiru, like like Nibiru is their home port or home planet or whatever it is, and Nibiru is a is a planet beyond Pluto. And I mean, you will not find a single tablet that associates the Anunnaki and Nibiru. That's just one example. So it's not that we're we're quibbling about translation. I'm literally saying it doesn't exist. doesn't exist, right. So, I mean, how easy would it be for someone to, to shoot off, you know, to me in an email, the, the tablet number, you know, the, the chapter and verse, so to speak, tablet number and line, well, here, 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 here's one that has, you know, Nibiru beyond Pluto, or here's one that mentions the Anunnaki with Nibiru. How easy would that be to basically just make Mike go away? Right. Um, if if it existed, and so I'm saying, look, the the core ideas just literally aren't there, and you know when you get beyond that, it's like he must, you know, he's making mistakes with Hebrew grammar. You know, languages, like you said, language is what it is. Now, and let me ask you: know, you, it, do you, it, do you think this was a mistake, or do you think some of this was done on purpose? Because I, like when when we you know moving forward uh, out of Zechariah for a second, when I saw the uh, ancient aliens debunked video. Uh, they, they you took part in also uh, when, you know these guys were like flat out lying. Yeah, I, 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 you know, it's hard for me to look at Sitchin as being that bad. 
that that flawed in terms of character. <laughs> well, you I'm know, gonna I ask the question: How many of them? Do you, how, if, as Angel was saying about watching ancient aliens debunk, how many of these people do you think were actually outright lying, or just a little bit on the misinformed side, or just not educated well enough on the per- yeah. the the other perspectives of what they were looking at? I, I think there is some some out and out fabrication. Um, I mean, there's obviously a spectrum, but what what I think the real crime here is that we've got a cash cow here, and right. and we're just not going to look at mistakes we might be making. I mean, we we're not going to to do objective research in preparation for an episode just to make. We're not going to fact check anything. We're going to just spout this idea and we're going to put some object that you know doesn't have any inscription and we're just going to call it this and we're going to say it originated over here mm-hmm. at this time we're, we're going to we're going to present this this picture of this object that actually exists and then we're going to take all these data points that you know sort of surround it or, or aren't even related and we're just going to stitch them together and, and we're going to have an error now that that to me is deceptive um, so I think there is a, a, a character element in here, but but with with Sitchin, I think in some cases um, he he sort of latched on to an idea and just loved it, convinced himself of it. I don't think he studied any of these ancient languages. Uh, the, the the mistakes are just too fundamental. And well, uh, he is, was yeah, Jewish. This is so, the point, though, because so, he doesn't have any documentation ever that proved that he was a scholar of any of this stuff, right? I know, and I've, lo- I've looked around for it a lot, and I would think if it existed, somebody would have sent it to me and said, ha, ha, you know. That, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, 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 it just, it's not there. Now, he, he was a journalist, and he was Jewish. Uh, he, I have to assume that he could read Hebrew, but here's the problem. I have four kids, okay? My, all of them can sight-read English, Okay, I don't know that many of them could do grammatical analysis of anything they read. Mm. That that's an entirely disciplined system. Explain the grammar to me. Talk about the semantics. Talk about the syntax. Talk about the verb tenses. You know, that that's the kind of stuff that when you're when you're in the field of ancient texts, this is what you have to do. Right. It's it's textual analysis. So that's a lot different than being able to read a language. And so I think part of what Sitchin does is in that category. I mean, I assume he could read. I don't don't know that for a fact, but I assume he could. But when it comes to to making points of analysis, like when he says Elohim is is a plural word and it always, you know, refers to, you know, plural gods and stuff like that. Right. That is flat out wrong. Right. No, you're right. It is flat out wrong, Uh, I went to a yeshiva for a large portion of my early years. So, yeah, he definitely got that one wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, I, and, and I, I don't know how to explain that. If you're a Hebrew speaker, you should know that even if you can't do grammatical analysis because it's your language and you have to have things like subject-verb agreement. And if you're Jewish, you're going to be exposed to the Hebrew Bible at some point. You know, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I just... I, I don't. I don't really know. You know, I since I can't psychologize him, and I and I, I tried to avoid doing that. I tried to stick to the the flaws in the work. I don't really know, but but my my gut tells me he's just he's not as bad as what we're seeing today. Even though people use his material, well, he, he inspired. Yeah, but he inspired the people that are that are today. Him and uh, Eric Van Daniken. 
that that's true. That's true, and a lot of people have run with it. And I mm-hmm. think it's it's exponentially more the the cash cow. You what do you think is worse, though, in the long run, him or Van Daniken when it comes to making these things up? You know, I actually think Von Daniken is because Von Daniken included that, uh, I think, a fairly sinister uh, racist element uh, in, mm. in his ancient astronaut theory. And I, I don't see Sitchin doing that. I mean, there, there are places where Sitchin even tries to sort of talk positively about you know, the God of Israel and things like that. But right. Von Daniken, I mean, his, his personal history is very checkered. Uh, you know, he's got this, you know, boy, the, the Africans in Egypt, that was just a flawed genetic experiment. I mean, he, he says things like this, and I just don't, I don't see Sitchin doing that. And there you go. That is the great Dr. Michael Heiser. And again, probably the most fun, you know, interview I've had in a very long time. And really, uh, one of the most, uh, you know, exciting interviews to, to, to prepare for, because I, again, I've been looking forward to talking to him for such a long, long time. And, uh, to have him actually be on the show was just super, super exciting for me. And no, I enjoyed uh, it as well. You know, we both. And did. you know, it's funny because he is, of course, a biblical scholar, and I, of course, am a rabid atheist. And it's funny to interact with somebody who is on the complete opposite side of the spectrum when it comes to religious beliefs, and to you know find a common ground where we kind of say, you know what, I, I I agree with a lot of the stuff he's saying because. There's a lot of stuff that he says that does make a lot of sense. Uh, religion aside, you know, just talking about the actual data and the information, you know, the the words and the definition of things that Zachariah was getting all wrong, you know. And, right. you know, like I said on that show, there's certain things that kind of uh, could be left out of the whole do you believe in God or not question. And you could look at it and say, well, forget about that question. Let's just go and deal with the actual written data that's there and what's been there for thousands of years and what the definitions have been for thousands of years. You know, who is this one guy to come forward and say, well, you know, all these thousands of years or hundreds of years that these words have been there and these things have been defined a certain way. Oh, everybody got it wrong. Me, the one guy who has no proof that I'm actually a scholar in any of these languages. Right. I'm the one who's going to tell you the real definition of this stuff, and I'm going to, you know, that's what Zechariah did. In, right. You know, to have uh, Dr. Heiser, uh, you know, put him in his place, really, and really take him to task. <laughs> not put him in his really place. He just, like, wiped the destroyed him. with him. It, it was and, just and like... Not only him, but, I mean, even after that, you know, the ancient alien stuff that him and uh, Christopher White, the, the, the narrator of the video that they put together, I mean, it was just incredible. It was masterful the way they depict the part, uh, the lies. And, yeah, folks, uh, unfortunately, that's something we all deal with here in, in the world of ufology. We have to deal with a lot of hoaxers and liars. But you know what? At the end of the day, you know, you, when you pick apart those hoaxers and those liars and you weave through those, uh, you know, those BS stories, uh, there are stories in there that are based on some fact. And some of them, some of them are, I think, real cases. No, and those really do exist. I do believe that. Well, I would agree with you. Travis is one of them. Roswell's another. You know, and uh, next year hopefully we'll have uh, more interesting cases to talk about. In I 2015. am sure we are going to have. Twenty fifteen is going to be a very watershed year. I have a funny feeling. I I think so too. It's going to be just a, a great year for everybody involved, especially for the Dark Matter Radio Network. Uh, especially oh, yeah. when the big guy comes back out of uh, his imposed Shh, Don't retirement. say his, hallowed be thy name. Yes, I'm not saying it. But guys, uh, we're almost out of time here. We're closing in on what really has been just a, an amazing 
amazing 2014. Yes, And it was. before we leave, I am going to add one more caller onto the show. 213, you're live right at the nick of time. Yeah, hey, you're Andrew, how are you doing? This is Isaac from Los Angeles, California. Isaac from Los Angeles, California. What's up, buddy? You're live on Skywatchers Radio. Hey, man, just wanted to call at the last minute and say happy birthday. Thank you, man. Appreciate I, that. I love, Thank you so much. I love PSN. I found out about you on Future Theater. Love that show, too. And awesome. I'm new to Skywatchers, but sounds great. Well, well hopefully, welcome. Uh, welcome, and hopefully you'll be listening for a long time. And We're, we're definitely going to uh, provide the best guest available next year so uh, there's a lot of people that we are going to bring on this show but if there's anybody in particular you want please let us know and in fact uh, off the top of your head real quick is there anybody that you would like to hear on this show that we haven't had on yet well i know it sounds lame because i hear it every week but i love listening to bill burns i could just listen to him <laughs> all the time that's what i'm saying in the same way I, I feel you like sometimes i don't even want to talk i just i just want to let him talk because it's, it's bill burns man it's yeah. He's the coolest. He really is one of the coolest cats. Uh, but anyway, we're almost out of time. Thanks for calling in. I appreciate you calling in. And yeah, for in sure. Twenty fifteen, get more callers. <laughs> in 2015, please call in. You Will and do. everybody else. I don't care yeah. if you're in California, west of the Rockies, east of the Rockies, somewhere in the North Pole, if you're inside the hollow earth, does not matter. Call in. <laughs> we're here good, for bud. you. <laughs> appreciate it. Thank you so All much right, for calling in. Have a good night, night, brother. You too, man. See, Alan? Yep. We will get callers one day. Okay. Let's hope... <laughs> Let's hope that every single show we do, we mandatorily have to get a minimum of five callers. I think we have to mandatorily give out the number about 20 times. Anyway, we're all out of time, everybody. We're all out of time. This is Skywatchers Radio. We'll be back next week on the new year. Have a healthy, have a healthy, don't get abducted new year.